Have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? When I was trying to get this podcast off the ground, I had a lot of questions. How do I record an episode? How do I get my show into all the apps people like to listen? How do I make money from my podcast? The answer to every one of these questions is really simple. Anchor. Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing your podcast. Best of all, it's 100% free and ridiculously easy to use. And now, Anchor can match you with great sponsors who want to advertise on your podcast. That means you can get paid to podcast right away. In fact, that's what I'm doing right now by reading this ad. I love Anchor because it allows me to record without having to spend thousands of dollars on equipment that I would probably have difficulty using anyways. So Anchor makes it all possible with a simple app. So if you've always wanted to start a podcast and make money doing it, go to anchor.fm slash start to join me, Lou Mavs, and the diverse community of podcasters already using Anchor. That's anchor.fm slash start. I can't wait to hear your podcast. Looking for some new podcasts to listen to? Well, Rat Sound Review Network has plenty of shows to choose from. Like Rat Sound Review, where they discuss the latest rock and metal news, as well as interviews and albums. Album versus Album, the King Diamond Podcast, with Wayne Noon, Greg Noggle, and sometimes this guy. Smack him a gob! Ralph Vieira is also on our network with the Vieira Bowl. There's also Old Man Metal's Musings, where he discusses heavy metal and beer. Music is Life with Lou Mavs. The Right Opinion for those who love politics. A South Park podcast called Suck My Balls. The Infinite Fringe. A watch-along wrestling show called Beyond Bushido. Extradivarius guitarist, the Timo Tolki podcast. And the great Harry Barnett with I Don't Even Like Podcast and the Laugh Cast. So check out RatSoundReview.com or search RatSoundReview on YouTube, Podbean, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and more. You're listening to the Music is Life podcast with your host, Lou Mabs, on the Rat Sound Review Network. You're listening to the Music is Live podcast with Lou Mavs, available exclusively on the Ratsaw Review Network, which is also available through the Hamin Media Network. You're right. Hamin right. Media Group. All right, cool. Hamin Media. Okay, Hamin Media Group, along with uh, the Greek god Dimitri Pamadon and his various podcasts. And of course, you could download anything Music is Life related or Ratsaw Review related. Wherever you can get your fine available podcasts, Apple iTunes, Google Podcasts, or as Vic DiBetetto would say, your mother's ass, the Pony Express. Fix your teeth. Anyway, <laughs> but uh, I'm very proud to say that, well, first of all, again, uh, second visual podcast that we're doing, a well, video podcast, and also oh, to be available on video? audio. Which organ are you going to lose this time? Is the real question. Uh, let's see, I've already gotten rid of my appendix and my gallbladder. Uh, I'm thinking the spleen goes with this one. Or if it's real ECW, it's the liver. So there you go. Oh, great. <laughs> Surprisingly, no kidneys yet, but I digress. Yeah. No. That'll come in time. I'm here with two very, very special guests. First of all, the boss of 
I was about to say the boss of CZW, John Zanding. <laughs> no, uh, the the boss of Rotsai Review, Mr. Wayne Noon himself. Good sir, how you doing? Thank you, thank you. Don't, I'm not no boss. I'm just a regular guy like everybody else. I want my residual check. Hey, you stole my joke. <laughs> <laughs> and from the Beyond Bushido podcast, available on the Rotsai Review Network. One of my dearest, dearest friends from the old guard back in the day of Astoria, Queens, Bryant High School by way of 1997. He is a professional wrestler that is a trainee of the great Johnny Rods, the great and late and beloved, rest in peace, sir, uh, Mr. Uh, Tracy Smothers, and also a protege of the Rock and Roll Express. Uh, and Kevin the- Sullivan. And Kevin Sullivan, the Taskmaster, or as Ric Flair would call him, Devil! Yes. Um, yes, the Rock and Roll Express, Robert Gibson and Ricky Morton. He is the formerly sultry, the current Puerto Rican lion, el león de Puerto Ricano, el grande luchador del mundo, Eric Adams! You know what? I think I need to bring you on the road to just go ahead and do my announcements. Dude, I'm in. I'm in. (laughs) That was pretty damn good, actually. I love it. Thank you for having me on, Lou. I really appreciate it. Wayne, it's great to see you. And uh, I'm a big fan of Music is Life. I've been listening for months. I'm very very excited to be here on the second visual podcast. And thank you for having me tonight. No problem. Really happy to have both of you guys on. You guys are two of my dearest friends. Wayne, I'm really excited about the uh, covers that we're doing. And Eric, of course, you're always a blast and a laugh. So, you know, it's great to have you on. But before we continue on the podcast, I just want to give a shout out to our buddy, Matt Zombie, Matt Nicolo of Kokomoga Media and Alphaplex Personal Training. For Christmas, his girlfriend just got him a seven-string Jackson Dinky. Nice. I'd like to recite for him the first stanza of this wonderful poem written by Mr. Jared Dines called but does it gent? Is your gent tune low? Does it waddle to the flow? Can you play it like a robot? Can you play nothing but O's? Can you play each of your songs with only using one hand? Is your gent tuned low? But does it gent? Does it gent? Does it gent, Matt? We'll we'll ask that question uh, when we see you at the next uh, round table. Okay, thank you. Yes, yes, yes. Poetry nights. Yes. Fantastic. A lot of stuff going on here. Oh, also, also it's go. one of my, my very rare uh, podcasts that I do with people I actually know. Yeah. Like, I've, I've actually, like, you know, physically know. seen you people before. Yes. What do you mean, you people? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Now, th- this is true. And, you know, uh, Wayne... It means is... a story of degenerates. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm proud to say that uh, I was actually a fan of Wayne's music before we became friends, and it was through his uh, old band, Phoenix Rain, that we became friends. And I was like, this guy's silly enough to laugh at all my jokes. He must be a nice guy. No, I was deaf. Couldn't hear anything you said. I just, I do that to make people think that, you know. You're like, yeah, I'm hitting yeah. the set. Yeah, that's great, Lou. Too many times. <laughs> I'll see you at the I was a show. poor Astoria kid, so I would help set Wayne's uh, drums up so I could get in for free to concerts and nobody would question when I got here. There you go. But we've all come a long way. Eric, I drink this in tribute to you. Zevia Cream Soda. Isn't that the best, though, that Zevia stuff, man? The Cherry Cola is my uh, favorite, actually. The Cherry Cola. See, I like the Pepsi. I like the Pepsi version, the the blue can. Right. That I could drink all day, every day. That's my favorite one. That's really good. Uh, The Cream Soda, I know Joe Rogan loves that Cream Soda. Mm -hmm. And um, 
the other one that I've really gotten into after a while is the Mountain Dew style one. That was really good. There's one that tastes like fucking medicine, and it's terrible. Which one? It might be the cherry one that Lou likes. <laughs> it's oh my, this has got awful. But I like them all except for that one flavor. I haven't tried any of those. I just tried the regular soda. I tried the uh, uh, cream soda and the cherry cola. And cherry cola so far, top of my list. Then the cream soda, then the regular soda. But I recommend it for anybody out there who's trying to give up soda, who can't just drink this because it's it's got stevia in it. It's better than. Um, you know, anything with aspartame or real sugar in it. And, you know, I mean, if you can't stand the taste of seltzer like I can't, I recommend it. Yeah. I, I can't do seltzer unless, like, now I have to because I'm dropping weight to get back in the ring because, you know, everything's looking like get that vaccine. So once that happens. Yeah. Congrats on your negative test. That's awesome. Thank you. I appreciate that. We are here today to discuss... Since this is the Music is Life podcast, and as far as I'm concerned, all art is valid. And I mentioned this before, to me, art could be anything from cinema, music, television, comic books, pro wrestling. Because, Eric, you'll agree with me, pro wrestling is an art form as well yes, as absolutely. an exhibition. So Eric knows this because I mentioned this to him on the first time I was on his podcast. I said that... Uh, ECW is my all-time favorite wrestling group. Actually, well, that's actually wrestling. how we became friends. Was because of ECW. I was wearing my uh, Taz shirt. Taz. Yeah, my Taz shirt. That's how we became friends. Actually, was I was wearing my Taz shirt at Bryant High School, and I was wearing my Sandman shirt. Yes, which was the exactly. most uncomfortable polyester T-shirt I've ever worn. Wayne, I'm not lying. Was that the white one or no? It was the black one. The white one was cotton, but I don't wear white tees. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I had, but that white, white was so cool. I had the Fonzie Must Die white shirt. I had that. I had the ECFNW shirt, of, shirt, of course, mm-hmm. and I had the original Extreme Championship Wrestling Join the Revolution shirt, which was the rare one. The I actually bought that off a guy who was like selling his old shirts at uh, the Second Lost Battalion All Show. So I had that, and then I had the Cactus Jack crucified on a cactus. Nice. I always wanted the Wanted Dead one, but I was only able to get that. I got the Wanted Dead one. I got an autograph, too. Yeah, I know you had the Wanted Dead one. That's why I hated you. <laughs> I had to practice. Well, it was, uh, our video had like a special, and so I had to buy one. And then, uh, I got the, remember the Taz one? I had, like, it was like uh, his face, but it was like in a circle. Yes, the Teen yeah, Taz Dojo, Red Oak yeah, yeah. Brooklyn. Uh, yeah, I, got, I got, went to meet him. He was at a music store, and then he autographed that. Um, I had the shirt, but then I was cleaning up my father's uh, basement one day. And it was laying on the floor. He was using it as a, a towel. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Might be fitting. So we're here today to actually talk about the music of Extreme Championship Wrestling and also some of our great memories of that company, which yes. lasted from technically ECW in name from 1993 to 2001. However... 92, sir. Joel Goodhart I was going to say Joel Tri-State wrestling where todd gordon was the money man tri-state folded that's when todd gordon started eastern championship wrestling in 92 there's a pilot episode that's an hour and a half long that aired on sports channel that aired in 1992 when they were doing the small shows at places like michael jack schmitz and all that mm-hmm. before they moved to cabrini coliseum at cabrini college which was 93 when the tv starts on sports channel then it goes 
to Viking Hall and ECW Arena. I have no fucking life. Why do I know this off the top of my head? Well, hey, music is my life. Wrestling is your life. It has been since you were a kid, you know? I mean, dude, you were trained yeah. by Johnny freaking Rods, you know? Much respect to you for that. Oh, yeah, there you go. The WWE Hall of Famer. <laughs> yes. That, okay. I just, I'm not getting laid for like three weeks once this <laughs> Jesus Christ. Someone's going to hear me go off on that tangent right there. Like, Someone find Eric on Tinder. Get him laid. <laughs> you know, I was going to mention Joel Goodhart, but it was an incorrect context. So thank you yeah. for... Uh, bringing that up so yes uh national wrestling alliance eastern championship wrestling and yes. they brought paul Heyman, paulie dangerously into the fold around i believe it was september of 93 with ultra clash 93 i think it was was that yes the- that's when paulie came in at the time originally the original booker for ecw was eddie gilbert and terry funk was the original name guy that helped out a little bit but eddie was the original Mm-hmm. around Ultra Clash is when they were wrapping up Eddie Gilbert. Eddie was getting ready to go to Smoky Mountain into Puerto Rico. Um, but unfortunately, he passed away while he was in Puerto Rico. And uh, at the same time, that's when Paulie had come in. Uh, Paulie had just gotten through a very public fire lawsuit with WCW over uh, the whole Missy Hyatt scandal. Missy Hyatt had done a pay-per-view match where it was Paulie and Arn Anderson versus... Missy Hyatt and Rick Steiner. During the match, Missy's breast became exposed, and Paulie put the pictures all over the locker. So he was fired for that. And then there was a whole lawsuit that went with the firing. And uh, after that lawsuit was done, that's when Paulie came over to ECW and started the Dangerous Alliance with Hot Stuff International, which was Eddie Gilbert, Dark Patriot, Jimmy Snuka, Don Morocco. Believe it or not. Now, here's an important question. Had ECW always used copyrighted music even before the Pauly era? Yes. They always used copyrighted music. You can go back and look at guys like Glenn Osborne, who was coming out to um, Iron Man by Black Sabbath. You could look at Eddie Gilbert, who was coming out to Donna Summer's Hot Stuff. Sandman coming out to Surfing USA by the Beach Boys. Iron Man, Tommy Cairo coming out to We Will Rock You. They always did that, but that was back when... There was a little loophole where as long as it was arena effect music and it was being played through the arena speakers and not actually part of the audio log that went into the music, like you didn't add that music in, then you got away with it. And of course, at that time, it was a lot easier to get uh, ASCAP to give you rights for songs or uh, what's the other one? BMI. BMI. Um I think ECW, CSAC, I don't know if CSAC was around at the time, but... Uh, no, you, it, it all started because Bill Watts was the first one to get ASCAP certified. Memphis got BMI certified. So when Paulie came in, Todd Gordon already had a deal worked out with BMI. That's when Paulie brought in ASCAP. And then he realized, why the hell am I paying for this? And that's when he started working with record labels. So he started working, uh, historically, the most famous one, Tommy Boy Records, he had a deal worked out with them where he would get $1,000 a week, which paid for their TV time at that time, as long as Two Cold Scorpio came out to the song and they gave the little thing, and they would have commercials for like uh, Memphis Bleak and a few other up-and-coming rappers. They would show these commercials. House of Pain notoriously was on Tommy Boy, so they used one of the songs, Fed Up, and they did a music video tribute for the Eliminators. And then they'd use the remix version for Eliminators for Van Damme and Sabu. 
Um, but they always had some type of working agreement, of course, concrete records, which you know about, Louis, because I remember when you were in college, that's how you got your free tickets to go to ECW. Yes, this is true. So my boy, Eric Cole, big shout out to Eric over at Concrete Marketing. Is um, he still there? No, 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 no. I was going to say, if he's still there, he's got to be like fucking president by now. To be quite honest, a lot of my old radio reps who used to service uh, records to me back in my college days, uh, a lot of them don't work in the industry anymore. Uh, some do, some don't. Some have moved on to their own uh, marketing companies. Munzee Ritchie of Skateboard Marketing being the longest running and most successful independent uh, marketing uh, agency. That's the one. And... Um, you know, he's doing great. Big shout out to Munzee. Uh, but Eric and I still talk on uh, Facebook. You know, we comment on, e- on each other's posts a lot and stuff like that. He's a good guy. But, uh, yeah, when uh, ECW Extreme Music Volume 1 came out, they were servicing it to all the college radio stations. And I, uh, man, we played the hell out of that every chance yeah, that we could. So <laughs> they were just like, he was like, are you an ECW fan? I'm like, no, I prefer ballet. And he said, oh, so you don't want these ECW tickets. I'm like, no, no, give them to me, give them to me. So, like, you know, we'd go. And, you know, I, I recognize the fact that I would get the tickets for free. So I'd bring, like, 100 bucks with me and I'd buy a shit ton of merchandise. Exactly. Well, that was the best part about ECW was when you went to the shows, like, especially in Queens, you would walk away and Concrete Records would be out there handing you, like, samplers and CD samples of different things and everything like that. And so... I remember uh, they filmed the video for uh, the fuck for Walk, the cover of yeah, Walk. Yeah, by Kilgore. Mm-hmm. Kilgore. They filmed it at the Elks Lodge. They did. And I got to watch that music video get shot. <laughs> That's cool. So yes. you having, uh, I'm going to ask both of you this question. Wayne, we'll give you a chance to answer first. You don't talk enough. <laughs> well, I'm, but, I'm actually reading a, a list of who, was, who used what theme songs here, so. Uh, oh, wait a minute. So no, he's going to be that. the official for our trivia contest. Fine. Okay. Let, let it be him. Let it be him. <laughs> okay. But uh, the question I want to ask you both is what exposed you to ECW? How did you guys take notice of it? And what made you a fan? So, uh, Wayne, you go first, and you, Eric, then I'll answer. Uh, the MSG channel. All of a sudden, I was up late night one time. And um, actually, I didn't have the MSG channel, so it was like all squiggly. But I could tell wrestling was on. <laughs> and, and then I, I think one of the wrestlers that I, I knew the name of, because it was WCW, and I was like, holy shit, there's wrestling on here. And, and I made my parents uh, you know, pay to get the MSG channel just for ECW. So that's how I got into ECW. And then I was a huge fan ever since, you know. And I still am. It's still my favorite wrestling, it's period, you know. Yeah. Nothing's ever been as good as ECW. Yeah. I could tell you the exact episode. Back in the day, there was the Sunday Daily News. It was a dollar. And there was like a special little TV guide thing that was inside that Daily News, if you guys remember. Mm -hmm. Where on the back, they would list all the sports. Like they would have like, oh, here are all your soap operas. Here are all your movies. Here's all this. And then there was one dedicated to sports. And they acknowledged professional wrestling. Now, I loved watching all the wrestling I could. I used to watch... For God's sakes, I was watching the fucking backyard wrestling came on public access that from Arena Puerto Rico, which later on you'd see guys like Low Life Louie and Aside and Low Key and Monster Mac. They were all wrestling in this church basement. I used to watch that, for God's sakes. 
this is Arena, Puerto Rico. This was a church building in Bushwick, Brooklyn, ran by a guy named Pedro. And they would, these the guys guy got together. Pedro. This sounds so much wrong with that statement. Yeah. It was, it was the Pedro that used to help with the training at Pete McKay's, where like Canyon came out of, Jason Knight did some extra training there. Uh, it was like a secondary place people would go to. Well, the guys who were filming this, they had a ring, so they filmed these shows and they put it on public access. And there was actually two companies of these backyard wrestling companies around at the time. But Homicide was a really trained wrestler. He was trained by Manny Fernandez, but he just couldn't keep out of jail, so he didn't get a lot of bookings in New York because he couldn't get licensed. At We're talking about Homicide, not Manny, right? Yeah, Homicide. Okay. But Manny Fernandez trained Homicide. This is what Manny was living in New Jersey. Uh, anyway, so I'm looking through all the wrestling stuff, and you see Raw, you see Nitro, you see Saturday Night, you see Main Event, you see Worldwide, you see superstars of wrestling, and I'm like, okay, watch this, watch this, watch this. And then I saw a weird one that said ECW Wrestling at 2 a.m. on the, at 1 a.m. on the MSG Network, because it moved to 2 a.m. later. And I was like, okay, it's summertime. It's on Saturday into Sunday. I'll just go stay at my aunt's house so I can get away with watching it. So because my mom would yell at me for being awake. But my aunt kind of gave too. me anyway. So every Saturday night I found an excuse to stay at my aunt's house because the first night I tuned in, the main event was the public enemy versus the pit bulls in a double dog collar match. And they're all fucking bloody and they're bleeding all over the place and they got these dog chains on them. Then there's uh, the public enemy wins. So they get five minutes alone with this fucking guy I've never seen named Stevie Richards wearing a fucking flock of seagulls fucking belly shirt with <laughs> Daisy Dukes. And he's like beating the shit out of him with a fucking Godzilla fucking action figure. And all of a sudden, here comes Luna Vachon out. And Luna Vachon starts beating the shit out of him. And then here comes Tommy Dreamer. And then all of a sudden, Beulah gets in the ring. And I see Tommy Dreamer pick this chick up in a skirt and just fucking pile drive her, jumping everybody her fucking panties. I'm like, what the fuck am I watching? And so... <laughs> it's domestic you know, abuse on television. No, it was the greatest thing I ever saw in my life because at the same fucking time, I was being force-fed uh, goddamn Andre the Giant's fake son in WCW when the Giant, they were trying to make them... <laughs> oh, and, and the fake Ultimate Warrior, the Renegade... And then on fucking WWE TV. The gobbledygooker. I, I, no, I got fucking Goldust giving fucking a pair of bagpipes a fucking blowjob talking about how he wants Piper. <laughs> so I was like, what the fuck am I watching? And then I started watching for, you know, week in and week out. And then the next week, you know, I saw that fucking crazy ass match. And then the next week, they got Eddie Guerrero versus Dean Malenko in a fucking 30-minute fucking masterpiece. Where I was like, holy shit, what the fuck did I just watch? Just mm -hmm. great wrestling. And um, I was hooked after that. It became my favorite company because I love my wild and crazy shit, but I love my great wrestling. And I was loving the old-school Memphis-style angles that were coming out of there because at that same time, I was tape trading with my buddy Pat and getting a lot of my Japanese death matches. And then he would throw in these... Uh, like for free, he would give me like best of USWA uh, three hours of just promos and angles for fucking matches from like 84 all the way to fucking 93. 
and I just I fell in love with it at that point. I fell in love with ECW because of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and say uh, add on to what you mentioned about watching WCW and WWF with their corny shit and everything. Watching ECW, it was almost like real life. Yes. So it made you you know care more about what was going on because it's not just made up people. You know, it seemed yeah. real. You know. Mm-hmm. And and Tommy Dreamer was the big baby face. Yeah. And for once, it wasn't just some jacked up guy because tommy dreamer's the real reason i started training at johnny rods i told tommy this. i worked a show with tommy um fuck almost six years ago now and i hadn't seen tommy in years and then tommy sees me and say hey what are you doing here i'm like i live here now and you know he asked me about my mom and you know before my mom actually came to the show this is one of the rare ones she showed up at mm-hmm. and you know when i was getting ready to leave tommy's like hold the fuck up hold the fuck up and he, like, waved me down just to say hi to my mom and shit. And, you know, Tommy's a great guy. I love Tommy Dreamer to death. And that's one of the cases of where they say never meet your heroes. I say go fuck yourself because Tommy Dreamer's the fucking man. I met Tony Iommi twice, and the man was a gentleman. So. Oh, absolutely. But, um, you know, Tommy had a short haircut. He had dark hair. He wrestled in a fucking T-shirt with a singlet at the time. He didn't break the pants out till. The first uh, Lost Battalion Hurls show. That's when he finally broke out the karate pants with the t-shirt for his full. Mm-hmm. Which a lot of people forget. Tommy Dreamer's always worn karate shit. Every evolution of Tommy, he's always had either the karate pants or the MMA gloves with the fucking kick pads or whatever. And they're impact. Muda pants, essentially. They're Muda pants. Well, they're karate key pants. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And uh, by the way, I should have warned everybody. This is gonna get a. This is gonna be a very vulgar episode. So, viewer discretion advised. And if it's I'm too sorry. much for you, if Shit. it's too, if it's too much for you, don't know what to tell you. Too late. This <laughs> well, is rat's eye review where we don't give a rat's ass. That's okay. right. Exactly. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, I'll okay. try and watch my language. Raven, who looked like a superstar, was the bad guy, and then Tommy Dreamer, who looked like the everyman, was the superstar. And to me, that was the coolest thing in the world. Yeah, it freaked me out when I saw Raven the first time. I'm like, oh, my God, that's Johnny Polo. And uh, yeah, actually, for me, and I admit I came late into the game because I didn't even know ECW existed until about March 1997 when I saw, you know, when you're trying to watch Scramble the Porn when you're a kid. And yes, yes. I think everybody's guilty of that. 62 and, and 63. 63. Very proud of you. Thank you. <laughs> One time, you know, my I developed carpal tunnel from flipping 63 back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. <laughs> and I just stopped, and all of a sudden it said, uh, wrestling's underground sensation can't be held back forever. And ECW is proud to present the lewdest, the rudest, the most extreme action ever. It's action so extreme, it's barely legal. And I just said, what the hell did I just watch, and how can I watch this? And it was a promo for ECW's first pay-per-view, Barely Legal. I had a friend who had the box that you could... A Bizox. Oh, yeah. The, uh, yeah. Yes. So I gave him a VHS cassette. Remember those kids? And uh, I said, can you please record this for me? And he said, yeah, sure. What time is it on? I said, 9 to midnight. He said, excellent. A reason to stay up late. <laughs> he comes to see me the next day. He said... I don't know what you made me watch, but that was the greatest thing I ever saw. I'm like, well, don't spoil it for me. And and he gave me the tape, and the first match was the Eliminators versus the Dudley Boys. And, you know, let's see if I could uh, run down the card of that. It was uh, Eliminators, Dudley Boys. I believe 
there was a dark match. And the dark match was Falls, Axel, and JT Smith versus Tracy, Guido, and uh, Tommy Rich. It was two dark matches. Louis McCauley and Balls Mahoney. Okay. The other one was JT Smith, Chris Chetty, uh, and the FBI. Okay, uh, I was close. You were close. Off the top of my head, I was goddamn close. You were pretty close. You are a nerd. By the way, a quick uh, rest in peace to Anthony Durante, Pitbull 2, yes. and also the public enemy themselves, Flyboy Rocker Rock and Johnny Grunge. Keep going. Course, uh, rest in peace, Chris Candido. Mm-hmm. Uh, rest in peace. Oh God, guys! Help Hack me out. Myers. <laughs> That's about everybody. Hack Myers died. That I did yeah. not know. Yeah, Hack yeah, died a few years ago. Um, okay, if we look at that original ECW card, let's see: Balls, Axel, Hack Myers, Tracy Smothers, Big Dick Dudley. Fuck, I, I get sad thinking about all this I'm shit. Sorry Cronus, I brought it up, but I mean, that's uh, not, hold on, that's, Cronus. Yeah, I mean, it's Bam Bam. It's, Bam Bam, yeah. Fuck, yeah, it's really actually sad when you look at everybody who's gone. Yeah, did we um, mention Rick Rude? Rest in peace, Rick Rude. Yeah, of course, Rick Rude. Um, Rest in peace, Tommy Rogers. Yeah, I Tommy mean, Rogers. There's so much great talent that came through. It was um, it was a PCW. different era of wild men in this business, and you had them in a locker room where everything was legal. And I, you know, just to mention Rick Rude. I think that's what really got me into ECW. I remember it might have been him seeing him on ECW, and I'm like, "What the hell's he doing on there?" And then he was on WCW, then e, uh, WWF, all that same time, that same week, yeah, literally yeah. that same week, because yeah. he made his last appearance for ECW at the Elks Lodge that they filmed when Chain when uh, when Bam Bam beat Chain for the title. Mm-hmm. That was in October two, uh, 1997. Which then led to the November to Remember match. That's his last match. That was his last time there was the November to Remember pay-per-view. Mm. Then he showed up on Raw and like he was allowed to b- bounce back and forth. He was already on Raw by then. Mm. And then Raw was pre-taped because they were going to Europe and the whole Montreal screw job happens. So he does that last November to Remember for ECW. He did the Raw taping. And then while Nitro was live, he showed up at Nitro, clean-shaven. But you know what the thing about Rick Rude is? And, like, a lot of people do not realize he was a devoted family man. Like, apparently, yeah. I, I read that he would mm. actually tape his wedding ring, and, but he would never take it off. And yeah. he, wouldn't, he wouldn't mess around with any of the ring rats. He never so, did any of that. Yeah, so, I mean, like, you know, he... And he was religious, which was funny, too. Like, Steve Austin tells the story, like... They're cursing and everything, and then Austin says, "God damn it!" And uh, Rick stops and goes, "Steve, do you really need to take the Lord's name in vain?" I could just hear him say that in his voice. <laughs> <laughs> that, so, so many great wrestlers that came through that, but that was my exposure, and I became a fan that night. And as much as I enjoyed all the matches, I mean, I don't want to insult the the great franchise Shane Douglas and Anthony Durante Pitbull too. But that was probably my least favorite match of the whole night, even though it wasn't a bad match. But the one that I just said I have to watch this company more often was the Michinoku Pro match that they had. That was insane. Well, you see, we got a sneak peek at that a few weeks prior. In Revere, Massachusetts, I think In Revere, Massachusetts, they did the six-man tag there, except for that one, The heels, uh, Grand Naniwa. Well, Grand Naniwa was there. Right. So, because Grand Naniwa actually missed the pay per view and he was replaced with uh, Yakashiji. Yakashiji, yeah, Yuji Yakashiji. 
dressed like a fucking Christmas elf and nobody understood what was happening. Oh, I thought he was trying to pull a Link thing from Legend of Zelda. <laughs> he was a Christmas elf. His whole character, the CG, is that he's the Christmas elf, that he's the defender of Santa. I wish I was making this up, but it's Japan. Yakashiji, Yakashiji. <laughs> I don't know where the hell that came from, but I'm hey. sorry. <laughs> yeah. Yakasiji. That was his name, Yakasiji. Great match, and I became a fan right after that. First house show was the Elks Lodge the night before Heat Wave 97. And yeah. Rude was there. Main event was Sandman and Tommy versus Van Damme and Sabu. The gangsters were there, and they came out. That was cool. The Eliminators were there. They came out. That was cool. And that was... That was that was my group, yeah. But of, of course, the thing about ECW that just stuck out to me the most was the the music that they would use. What a lot of people don't know is that our good friend Louis here, because he's Greek, and the guy who helped write all of nah. ECW's theme music afterwards was a fellow Greek musician from Astoria, Queens, named Harry Slash. He's he's a, he's an old boy from Astoria and he's Greek. Yeah. How come he never offered me a gig? <laughs> fucking because he was busy playing fucking saxophone. I'm not even joking. He's like, that's him playing the saxophone and everything. But yeah, Harry, Harry Slash, an Astoria Greek boy. Wow. Harry Slash and Slash tones. Yeah, Harry Slash and Slash tones. Very guess that. Yeah, that, he's that the is... music producer for. He was the music producer for ECW. He wrote. The original Dan and opening that theme. I know, and he did Hook the Blues, Sabu's Huck theme. The blues. And, he did uh, all of Vinnie Mac owns the rights to all of it. No, that's that's where you're wrong. Huh? They still lease those rights. Who owns them? Harry. Harold. Who? Harry? Harold. Harold Slash Tone. Smart man. He copyrighted. Very smart. They, I'm sure he's making a nice payday. Did either of you get to go to the arena? I did. I didn't. I didn't go to the arena until I saw my cousin fight an MMA match. And by then, it was the 2300 arena. Anything about the old ECW, CZW was gone. However, they did still have the flags uh, raised on the ceiling of the Hardcore Hall of Fame. So every name there from Too Cold to... um, John Zandig to Terry Funk to Tommy Rock Jarrett, they're all there. Yes, uh, they're all there. You see, I went to an arena show, and then um, the first ever MLW show, I was there because I was a standby guy. Me and The Wall, Jerry Tootie, were the two standby guys for that first MLW show where they did the tournament. That was so in 2002, was, right? Yes. So. I got to I got to go to the arena for one of the Cyber Slams. It was the they were on TNN and this was the last Cyber Slam weekend they did. And I went to that one. Oh, so this and, was um, two thousand then, okay. There was no Cyber Slam in two thousand one, unfortunately, because they had folded by the time they could have gotten to it. Well yeah. Well they did they did the Dudley's Elks Lodge show and then they did an arena show, which the arena show never aired, but on the network you could see the three-way dance between Carino, Sandman, and Rhino that they did for the uh, Just Incredible. Excuse me, Carino, Sandman, Just Incredible. And that was the last ever arena show and how fitting they did a spot with all the chairs being thrown in the ring again in that mm-hmm. match. 
and then they did their uh, their normal tour dates, and their final show was Pine, Arkansas, I think. Pine Bluff, Arkansas. Randomest place to have their final show, considering. Well, Paulie never showed up. I know. Paul, you know to, that was to that was when he to, to Tommy's film credit. Robot. To Tommy's yeah. credit, he was a guy that kept it going to the end, and. I have all the love and respect in the world for Tommy Dreamer. I mean, for for me, and I'm speaking only for me, he's as important to me as a wrestler as Sting was, as much as Sting was, you know, because, you know, they, they carried that company. The reason why they were able to transfer over well was because they had, well, they had that charisma. They had that, um, they just had that it factor. Some of my favorite ECW uh, memories uh I actually got to go to um, the arena a, a lot of times because there used to be a trip from Queens. Uh, the, Uriel. The, yes, yeah. Queens Mall used to meet there. <laughs> I couldn't remember his name, but yeah, you're right. Uh, we used to meet the Queens, <laughs> Queens Mall. Get all, everybody get into a bus and then go there. I did that like maybe four times or something. And then one of the trips was really cool. We got to go with uh, New Jack, Cronus, and uh, Spike Dudley. That was probably the coolest thing I ever did because uh, New Jack is fucking hilarious. I don't know if you guys ever... Got the oh, yeah. I met him on a couple occasions. He, he he was so nice. I bought his book and I loved it. <laughs> really, Jack gets a bad rap. I like Jack. I always will. Um, I think he keeps the kayfabe up, which I respect that. And people, well, he has not, to. yeah, and people don't know if he's being Jerome or Jack. And I'm just like, well, then he's doing his job. Yes, and it's keeping you interested. Mm. Well, it's like if you're seeing. Abdul the Butcher. Nobody wants to see Larry Shreve. They want to see the madman from the Sudan. Yeah. You know, and, you know, you got to remember, New Jack was broke in by Ray, Ray Candy. Candy in Georgia. And also gives the, credit to Tracy Smothers and the Rock and Roll Express. Exactly. And they're all guys who, you know, kayfabe is big. Because people don't pay to see Jose Rodriguez, they pay to see Eric Adams. Ah, uh, see, I never once dropped your name. No, you didn't have to, and it's fine because this is something completely different. Wait, and what? Anyway, he's not really the singer of Manowar, Wayne. I'm sorry to disappoint you. Okay, I've known you for years. You you lied to me. I'm gonna fucking once and for all wrap this story up. Thank fucking God. My name that I wanted is Armando. Was J C Rot. That's the name I wanted to use. R-O-T-T. J.C. Rot. Because I had a cutoff shirt. I wore the fucking Jankos. I had these Adidas shell tops I used to wrestle in. I used to come out for metal music. I had all these cut-up shirts. You did have a mullet back then, too. Mm. Yes, I did. And um, all I wanted to do was be J.C. Rot, the bastard child of New York City. That was going to be my whole character and gimmick. And it was going to be real metal and everything because it was before the metal scene really kicked. Julio, the Latin lover who's taking down the names for the Battle Royal, put down the name J.C. Rods, like my trainer. So Johnny thought I was trying to fucking hitch off of his back because we had the same last name. I was like, no, that's not the name. It's J.C. Rods. He's like, Rods. I'm like, Rods. He's like, Rods. So I'm like, fuck it. And I write down R-O-T-T, Rods. So he takes the paper. And he takes the two T's and turns it into a T and puts a Z and goes, Rods! It's like, fuck! So Johnny says, come up with a new name. Why does it sound like only this would have happened to you? 
It, this is the real story. This is how Johnny is, and I love Johnny to death for it. The next school show comes around. Angel of the Baldies has a cell phone. He's one of the first guys to have cell phones out of us. And we're at the Ghetto Pizzeria right around the corner, which is now this gorgeous pizzeria. You went to one of the school shows early. You remember how good that area was? Do that. You went to one gym, before yeah. and then one after I left. Yeah. The one before, Louis got to see Gleason's when it was a shithole. I think you went to one before I left too, Waiter. Did you go to one when I came back? Yes, I did, yeah. It was, it was when I came back to visit. Yes, yep. Yeah, you were all there together. Mm-hmm. And um, so, Angel, so Johnny calls Angel, and Johnny says, give him the phone. So I'm like, okay. I'm like, yes, Johnny. He goes, hey, asshole, did you think of a name? I was like, yeah, I did. Well, what is it? There was a little video store right across the street. They had the poster for the Crow City of Angels. And I went, Eric. Like Eric Draven. He's like, okay, Eric what? And if you remember, what street was that pizzeria on? Adams. Adams Street. And that's how I came up with the name Eric Adams. Johnny said, that fucking sucks. And he hung up on me. Like, well, I'm fucking going to use it tonight, and then I'll figure something else out. Because then I was like, maybe if I'm J.C. Riot, maybe I'm J.C. Rotten, but I didn't want to be Axel Rotten's kid. Like, mm-hmm. So I was trying to find a way to keep J.C.R. my real initials. And I do the Eric Adams gimmick that night for the first time, and I actually borrowed your CD of Iron Maiden's uh, 666, Number of the Beast, and I came out to Hollowed Be Thy Name that night. You did. And you were at that one. That was the first mm-hmm. one when I was using the flipping leg drop as a finish after a double underhook pile driver. Yeah. I remember and, that. Uh, well. Yeah. I, I was Eric Adams that night. And then I was like, all right, Johnny, I think I thought uh, the next week comes up or whatever, two weeks later. I'm like, Johnny, I finally figured it out. I'm going to be AC Riot. And he goes, well, you can't. You're Eric Adams. I was like, why am I Eric Adams? And he shows me a poster for a show in New Jersey that now I'm booked on as Eric Adams. So that's how I got stuck with the name. So it had nothing to do with Manowar? Nothing at all. Then Which I found out Because he's that. a fan. Oh, then you found out about Manowar. Okay. And I was introduced to Manowar by my friend Pat, the tape trader guy. Because mm-hmm. he listened to all that European power fucking metal. Funny, because they're from Auburn, New York. I didn't even know they were from upstate New York. <laughs> I thought they were like from fucking Europe. That's funny. I, I thought you were a fan of them forever. That's why I thought you took that name. That's... No, okay. like you're the you're I, the reason I became a Man of War fan, Eric. <laughs> okay, fair I enough. I thought Man of War was cool when he had the name. I was like, shit, Man of War I, was cool. I, when the CD Hell on Stage came out and Eric Adams goes, "This song goes out to Jose." I thought he was dedicating it to you. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people who knew me thought that, and I was like, but "Holy no. shit, Eric Adams knows Eric Adams." <laughs> It was a weird little dichotomy. It was it was a weird little stretch in the vortex of reality and fiction right there. You see, I figured by now we would have got Scott Columbus back again. He's dead. He's dead. When did Scott Columbus <laughs> die? What the fuck? Oh, like 10 ago. years ago? Yeah. What did he die of? Suicide. It was suicide. That's what it says. It was announced publicly. Uh, That's such a shame. He's, uh, he, he yeah, was my his, favorite his drummer. His daughter Teresa announced it just this past April. Mm-hmm. Wow. Oh, we should have did that Pepsi thing. I just revealed that. You just revealed what? <laughs> Pepsi. Forget it. Oh, you're talking about to see how long my audio yeah. fucking... Yeah. No, Lou. No, Lou. Pepsi <laughs> is to see how much of a delay I'm on. One, two, three, Pepsi. Pepsi. 
Okay, we're good. Yeah, we're good. Hey! <laughs> Fuck you! It's working, James! <laughs> on my show, Beyond Bushido, on Rats Out Review, for some reason, I'm always on a delay. You are. Half of our shows, there's always like a two-minute break of us just laughing at how terrible our production values are. On <laughs> but to me, I'll take that over anything high-end any day. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. Well, the thing is, I pay for the high-end internet. We completely deviated to... from the subject matter. <laughs> Fuck, it's me. You know my ADHD. It just gets in. All right, well, we're not on delay. Let's keep going on with delay? the subject matter. We're... I hate you, Wayne. Uh... <laughs> The music of ECW and what it meant to us. <laughs> Absolutely. New Coke. <laughs> um, the, uh, the music of uh, ECW. Speaking of ECW and Coke. New <laughs> Jack! <laughs> so the music of ECW is probably some of the most impactful music, especially as uh, you know, kids from the city, from New York in the 90s and hearing the wrestlers come out to songs that turned us on to many of our favorite bands as we were growing up. Mm-hmm. Of course, you know, uh, Eric mentioned that the Sandman, uh, Jim Pullington, used to come out to Surfing USA, and this was before he became the chain-smoking, beer-drinking, cane-swinging, kick-ass son-of-a-bitch known as the Sandman, where he would come out to enter Sandman, which mm-hmm. to this day, other than the Sting entrance, it's probably the longest entrance of any pro wrestler, <laughs> but everyone got into it. As soon as he came in through the audience, cracked the beer open, you know, with cigarette in mouth, chugged the beer, hit himself in the ha- ha- head with it, pulled another beer out of his pocket, and was chugging beer down people's throats. And, you know, if you were there to witness it, you just oh, yeah. came alive. Yeah. So oh, goosebumps every time that, that, uh, that those first guitar notes started, you know, you got goosebumps because you know you were getting a show before the actual show started, you know. Right. And it was counterculture because it, even the Yankees started using it for Mario Ron Rivera for mm-hmm. his entrance. Every time he came on the field as a fucking Yankee, you knew Mariano Rivera was coming because you'd hear Enter Sandman. And I gotta admit, by then I was sick of Enter Sandman. Oh yeah, I was sick but of that shit too, and I'm still I'm the, sick of it today. But you know, you go to see Sandman enter through an arena, and that song comes on. It's like you know, you're into it again. Oh yeah, oh, absolutely. absolutely. It just takes something special like that to remind you why you loved it in the first place. Yeah. I gotta ask, what was uh, everyone's favorite entrance music for a pro wrestler when um, when uh, you guys would uh, watch it, or you know, live or on television or on pay per view? Yeah, would you, my, mine would be the you know, Sandman and uh, Tommy Dreamer, Man in the Box. Awesome yeah. Those are always my two favorite songs yeah. at that that time period. So you know, and seeing wrestlers come out to it was even better. You know, just made mm-hmm. those songs even better. Mr. Adams, I mean, you know, Tommy is way up on my list. Yeah, every time you heard that, you just knew this guy was going to come out there and give us all and. No matter what fucking war he was in the middle of, whether it was Raven, Brian Lee, or defending ECW from fucking evil WWF, you just knew he was going to give his all. Um, every time you'd hear uh, old school wrestling, I used to love it. You'd hear Frankenstein being played by uh, Edgar Winter Group, and he'd fucking come out and just choke slam some jabronis. But as soon as you heard the you know, you knew Diamond was coming. Uh, Taz coming out to War Machine. 
Oh, War Machine. So, I mean, that, he also how came much more to, iconic uh, did you get than that? D- he also came out to Anthrax, too. Yes, as Tasmaniac, he came out to all in the fa- keep it in the family. Yeah. Now, when Taz came out to War Machine, did he ever come out to the version on Creatures of the Night, or was it always the cover version? No, it was Creatures. No, he came out to Creatures in the Night originally. When, when he first became the human suplex machine, Taz, and he turned mm-hmm. heel, that's when he started coming out to the original Creatures of the Night War Machine version. Mm-hmm. Then Harry Slash. Uh, Harry Slash redid it. And then that's when they added the Beastie Boys No Sleep Till Brooklyn at the beginning. No sleep till and no sleep. And um what a lot of people forget is that uh Six Feet Under was the last cover version that Taz came out to. And Six Feet Under actually did an instrumental version with Harry to add in the keyboards and stuff. But the last version, that that was the band Six Feet Under. I did not know that. Yes. That was the last version he came out to before he... I mean, the music made a lot of these wrestlers, too. I mean, for God's sakes, Bam Bam Bigelow was coming out to Welcome to the Jungle in 1998. People would get hyped when they heard that shit. Um, Terry Funk's Desperado, never a dry eye in the house whenever that, whenever that started playing. And that was one of my dad's three favorite wrestlers. My dad's yeah. three favorite wrestlers were Terry, Dusty Rhodes, and Bruno San Martino. How was Spiros Arion not on that list? <laughs> because my dad hated the bad guys. Oh, okay, fair enough. No, seriously, Spiros Arion was an amazing heel. Because well, that's on, a whole different story. Because on my okay. block, we had more Italians than Greeks. So okay, fair enough. My dad wanted to blend in with the Italians. <laughs> yeah, he didn't want to piss off the. He didn't want to piss off the Italians. No, no. Considering that, like one time, Bruno was actually a grand marshal at an Italian parade in Queens. Yeah. And my my neighbor's daughter was actually uh, her ha- his handler. Oh wow! And that was a big deal. That was such a big deal for people on my block. Though. Well, yeah, I mean because pro wrestling and Queens have such an interesting background together. Mm. Um, I mean, think about this. Argentina Rocca lived in Astoria, Queens at one point. Mm-hmm. A lot of people forget that. Um, Sunnyside Gardens cards biggest secondary attraction in New York compared to the garden. And so people would pay to see Bruno or, uh, and, you know, Argentina Rocca or fucking Hanson on those cards, and just guys like that and Spiros Arion. And that's, that was actually the test to see if you could make it to the garden. Was you had to do good at the gar- at Sunnyside at Sunnyside Gardens. I have a story about Sunnyside Garden Gardens. Yeah, I have. I told you this one before. No, I want to hear it. All right. So my dad came here from Greece in 1968, barely any money in his pocket, worked his way to save his money by the house that I was raised in, and also by his first business across yeah. the street from Sunnyside Gardens. It was an auto mechanic shop. Oh, my wow. dad always loved pro wrestling. So, what's the one thing that everyone knows about Queens? Plenty of places to go, no places to park. Yes. And Wayne, you know this. You played Castle Heights a million million times. So... End of the street! Block the spot! I'm going around! (laughs) As you can tell, Eric's been on my block many times. And... (laughs) The uh, so the wrestlers would actually go to my father's shop as he was closing up, and this was WWWF. Yeah, 
and they would ask my father, can we park our cars here while your shop is closed? And he's like, uh, sure, where are you going to be? He says, oh, we're going to be at the arena. And my father's like, oh, you're one of the pro wrestlers. And he's like, yeah, do you, do you like wrestling? He says, oh, yeah, I watch with my boys and my nephews all the time. This was before I was born, Eric. Yeah. So this is the 70s we're talking about. So the wrestlers would give my dad tickets for him and my brothers and my cousins to go oh see old school WWF. Your brother told me that story in the car. Mm-hmm. I'm just remembering Gardens. Yes. Yeah. So we've always had a, a, a love for pro wrestling. And, you know, for me, it's like, it's hard for me to really appreciate what you see on television nowadays. And, you know, like, I love watching Eric Adams' match when he posts them or when he sends them to me. He's like, hey, tell me how I did. And I tell them, I was like, dude, it was flawless, you know? And there's Thank also, you. you know, there's also a couple of other um, companies that I've watched and still continue to support. Although, you know, since the pandemic has hit, there's barely any pro wrestling, unless you're looking for more on deathmatch wrestlers who don't know how to work a match, just bleeding all over the place, you know, hack and slash schmucks. But, uh, you know, there's a genuine love there for the art form. And it's a fucking great story, man. I totally forgot about that. I remember your brother told me that in the car. Mm-hmm. Did your father like yeah, your mother like wrestling too, or just your father? Oh yeah, she yeah. she would be booing the heels from the from the oh, living really? room from the couch. My my parents hated it. My father hated hated it. I watched it, hated that. Me and my brother used to wrestle with each other in the living room. We just hated it completely. <laughs> See, my know. aunt was a fan of Gorgeous George. She always remembered Gorgeous George, and then my mom would tell me stories about when she was in Puerto Rico and Paige Morales was like the biggest star because he won the WWF title and uh, how fucking literally like her friends, because she belonged to a Puerto Rican coalition coalition in New York. And then like also back on the Island, whenever Pedro got in trouble, he was so over, it always caused riots. Like that's why they had to take the belt off Pedro and beg Bruno to come back for that second run. Mm -hmm. Because anytime Pedro got in trouble, there was a riot. Like Pedro's the reason why Madison Square Garden had to change the format and the main event was like match three or four on the card or sometimes the first match of the night. Like if you watch, yeah, if you watch 1970s to about late, mid, mid eighties, WWF and WWF, uh, MSG cards, the, 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 the match that they promoted as the main event, which would be like Hogan versus the Sheik or Backlund versus Afa or, Anything like that was always match two or three. So this way there wouldn't be a riot because Pedro caused riots. They had, they they couldn't let Pedro lose the belt in the garden. He had to lose it in like fucking Baltimore. You can't get away with that nowadays, which is kind of a shame because it really takes away from the mystique and it it takes away from the the emotion of the the art form itself. I mean, I remember watching an old AWA tape where the Road Warriors were facing Kurt Hennig and I believe it was Baron Von Raschke. Nice. And Eric, you might remember this. This is the one where uh, Kurt's head got tied between the, uh, the the top two ropes yep. and they hit him with a chair. And you see Kurt do this yes. real quick. But it was such a bad blade job. like It looked like he was a victim in a collision. Oh, he did an amazing. <laughs> and but it yeah, you caused can go with that the shit. arena to riot. 
you won't get that nowadays with wrestling. And for insurance purposes, maybe it's for the right thing. But, I mean, you look at the historical matches compared to, all due respect, Eric, some of the fluff they put out right now. It's oh, like, yeah, absolutely. You can't, you can't compare. And that's what ECW was. Well, you see, that going back to ECW, ECW was the last real riot to take place in wrestling history when Vince brought back the original ECW. And he started the what everybody calls now WWECW. And if you remember, those uh, after they did the two uh, reunion shows, One Night Stand, they were doing TV out of the Hammerstein every week. And uh, they had, I forgot who it was. It was the night Big Show beat Van Damme for the belt. And there was a riot, and they were throwing shit in the ring. And, I mean, they covered the fucking ring. The ECW Arena one got so out of hand, they never released the footage because they were throwing fucking chairs in the ring and shit like that. But in the same breath, I still hold to today that that was done by design by the WWE because – they didn't want the brand to get that hot again because if it did, it might get better. Well, yeah, that's my personal well, opinion. People, re- people have stated in the in the in the past that Vince McMahon destroys what he didn't create. Think yes. about it. Sting comes back for two matches to WWE and he loses both of them, one to Triple well, H and, and one to Seth Rollins. Well, Give okay, but we're break. also talking. You're on their home turf, so of course he's going to put over Hunter. Of course, he's going to put over Hunter at WrestleMania, which is the WWE creation. Um, as far as the Seth Rollins match goes, he was fucking 55. That's true. Or, Seth Rollins is in you, his prime. You know, you got to look at what the roster was shaped of of that time. You had uh, you had Devitt. You had fucking Rollins. You had, uh, uh, fuck, you had AJ, I think, started already by that point. Or AJ, AJ was getting in- ready. 2016. Okay, so AJ was on his way in. Like, they knew they were bringing AJ in. They knew they were bringing AJ in eight months before they did, just so everybody knows. 99% of the time, the people you see on TV, they've known for eight months this guy's coming. There's The only person who gets away with the I'll let you know two weeks in advance is Taker. That's it. Taker and Brock are the only two who can carte blanche, give them two weeks notice and say, okay, I can come back. Mm Mm-hmm. Other than that, it's it's all by design. But yeah, they, they knew they were bringing in all these top-tier talents. They had all this top-tier talent. Jericho was still in the company. Kevin Owens was in the company. Uh, they were starting to push Cesaro very heavy and Sami Zayn and all these guys. The style has changed so much that you can't risk a five-year-old man in there. Especially when your whole product has physically changed how it has. This is true. You know, so now you know, he's with the uh, AEW. What do you think he's going to do in there? He's never going to take a bump. He's so? going to help get Darby Allen over. He's going to help with the crowds when the shows come back because the people want to see Sting. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's going to be like that company's first ambassador. You have to understand in TBS's mind, this is WCW reboot. And they're very happy with the ratings. Without Vince Russo. Yes. WCW in their dying days were still pulling 4.3 ratings. WCW spent 
after the Warn, Warn, Time Warner uh, Turner Media Group merger, they spent $100 million to make a Civil War movie with Tom Selleck. They put out all these press releases and everything like that. The fucking thing drew a 1.1. That means 1,100,000 homes saw it, and they considered it a success. Meanwhile, everybody forgets the downslope of WCW at that time was the ratings went from a 5 to a 4.3. Now let's look at today's wrestling ratings. Which can't even compare. I think Impact you can't, and its best you made like a, was, was a 1.1. Yeah, you can't compare it. So, AEW, they're not pulling the big 4.3 ratings, but the business isn't doing it. We've encapsulated ourselves, and that's the problem. And And that's what I really feel it is, is you need those pop figures. But WWE held a meeting, and they flat out said, we're not in the business of creating a big star anymore. We're in the business of making a strong brand. So that means... It's failing. <laughs> you know, yeah, but that means, you know, we're not going to see, like, that Jeff Hardy climb. We're not going to see that Macho Man Randy Savage climb. We're not going to see that Steve Austin climb or that Bret Hart or that Shawn Michaels climb. So We're not going to see characters develop like they used to. So in other words, the imaginary brass ring is dead and buried. Yeah. Now you're a cast member on a television show. Well, and that's gonna, fine because there's still some stuff I like. There's still some stuff on TV I absolutely love. Both products, they're not making stars. But the only one who I see really that's genuinely becoming a star out of all this right now still is Darby Allen. Yeah, I've he's been, he's been oh, he's something special. He's something he's special. He's, he's, he's something very special. He understands. He loves this business. Gabe Sapolsky did a great job promoting him in Evolve. And, of course, Gabe Sapolsky is a protege of Mr. Paul Heyman. Yeah. So we tied it all back together. Pepsi. <laughs> Pepsi. Pepsi. There we go. Just hold the spot. I'll be right back. <laughs> Don't let them take it. My five favorite theme songs, I would definitely say, obviously, Tommy's Man in the Box, Sandman with Andrew Sandman, Taz with War Machine, um, and, of course, Balls Mahoney with Big Balls. Oh, yeah. And uh, Jungle Boogie with uh, Two Cold Scorpio. When he returns. That was the first time I heard Big Balls, by the way. Really? I heard yeah. it all the time in 93 on Q104.3. They played really? it all the time. I never this is when they were a pure it. rock station. not a And K-Rock station. used to play it always at Out to Lunch. Somebody would request that on, on Out to Lunch with stuttering. You know. But I feel never like there's a... a radio fan. I feel like there's a one... God, well, you know, I also... Every time you heard the missile drop when uh, Natural oh, yeah. Killers would come on, New Jack oh, would yeah. come out, that was always great. Yes. You know, and um, I definitely love a lot of the like listen every time let me just say this paul e is such a mad genius only he could have trolled the entire audience to sing umba by hansen nymca nymca when nova and Meanie came out Uh uh-huh they had all that, that was genius. And every motherfucker in the audience that's like, yeah, I'm tough. You, know, you, you would see them saying, I'm like, you know, like, come on. Come on. Who do you think you're fooling? Yeah. 
Now, Louie. Yes. Another thing that I think we're forgetting to mention is all the great music that they would use in between the episode. Oh, yeah. You know, like uh, every time. November to remember for the November to remember pay-per-view. That was always Mm -hmm. like the big one. Oh, absolutely. And uh, Eric, November rain, November rain. I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah. And Eric yesterday confirmed for me that it was John Spencer Blues explosion that Van Dan came out to at Barely Legal, and it was yeah. also that remix done by the Wu Tang Clan that would yeah. be in a lot of the uh, hotlines and. Um, I was buried on the battlefield. Part. That one, yes. Greyhound Part Two, remixed by the RZA. Oh, absolutely. The yeah, Greyhound Part Two, but um, other ones. A- Here's an interesting question, though. You sent me a playlist on Spotify of old ECW entrance themes. Who the hell came out to Jump by Van Halen? Jump by Van Halen was the original song Eddie Guerrero used because that was his theme song with Art Barr when they were the American Love Machines in AAA. I never would have guessed that. (laughs) I'm telling you, Wayne, you're about to get into territory where I turn into Rain Man. It's not on my list. Yeah, Eddie Guerrero came out to jump <laughs> by Van Halen. Uh, he came out to Animal by Pearl Jam and Live and Let Die from Guns N' Roses. Yes, those were the later themes, but the first week he came in, mm. when he re- when he beat uh, Two Cold Scorpio for the title, mm. he came out to jump by Van Halen. See, now we're getting into where I just, I'm insane. And I just know things for no fucking reason. Um, oh, no. Christian Woman by Typo Negative was women's uh, video rent video retrospective video mm. fucking uh garbage uh fucking heart-shaped box and fucking um number one crush they did for two different beulah packages mad season favorite. for every bob wire fucking match they did and then for the tommy dreamer the um, post uh jerry lawler match uh, they did uh, river of the sea yeah well that was for the bob wire match and for that and that just stays with me to this day it haunts me i love that and even the main theme, the original theme for ECW, the yes. uh, White Zombie song. I yes. Mean, that was fucking awesome. They Thunder Kiss 65 Inch, mixed with Nine Inch Nails, nails. Yeah. yeah. I also remember, like, every time like, we would go to see the wrestling shows, me and my friends, I would always, I made a mixtape of everybody's theme songs. And if, if some new person came and joined, you know, ECW, I would add them to the mix. It was, you know. Oh, wait, Danny Jordan cool. came out to yeah. fucking Kate, Super Bomb Bomb, on the list. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep. And some of these things were it's kind of hard to find because, you know, the internet wasn't really a, a huge thing back yeah. then. So I had to try to find, you know, go to the library and find like the, the CDs or whatever they would have there. And, and So, Louie, I have in front of me a list of trivia questions for you since Wayne's cheating, but Wayne will be able to. I'm not, I can't really go through this list like, you know. Or deny. Are you ready to play some ECW music trivia? Sure. Why not? Okay. Question number one. Mm-hmm. Mikey Whipwreck came out to... Now, I'm not including the Harry Slash themes. Mm-hmm. Harry Slash is amazing. I love Harry. He's my friend. Harry, yes, what you got? He's like, Ala, opa. Zito, ito, ilada. Zito, ito, ilada. But um, we're not including any of the Harry Slash made themes. All right. First Can question. I... Yes. I want you to name... Mikey Wick Rex three entrance song. He Loser used two. Back. Yeah, he used two. Then he went to WCW. Then he came back and used another one. Loser by Beck. Uh-huh. And um, Pepper by Butthole Surfers. Uh-huh. And there's one more. I 
can't remember it, but I'm thinking because he was with Tajiri. It was before Tajiri. Yeah, Ooh. I have it right in front of me here. And I'm, I, I forgot that one. That is Rage Against the Machines bomb track. I forgot about that. Yes. <laughs> All right, two for three. And you forget not bad, not bad. Weezer, Weezer saying so. Uh, that was his music video song. That was for his oh, video it? retrospective when he was feuding with the Sandman. Oh, okay. Here's a good one for you, Louie. Dead. When the Sandman lost the ECW heavyweight title to Mikey Whipwreck, they made a video tribute to the Sandman using this cover of Frank Sinatra's My Way. Sex Pistols. Not Sex Pistols, but you're close. Sorry. Sid Vicious. Sid Vicious. Yes. Well, you know why? Because I, I forget that that's a Sid Vicious song, but it's on a Sex Pistols compilation called The Great Rock yeah. and Roll Swindle. The first boy band of punk, Sex Pistols. This is true. Yes. Come on, give me some questions, Louie. Let's see how good I am these days. All righty. Well, you're thinking, wait, you give me one. Uh, Bayman Bigelow's second theme song. His second theme song was The Zoo by Bruce Dickinson. That's correct. Ding. Boom! Which then became Mike Lawson's theme song. Yes, that's true. Yep. Which, true. although he never came out to it, what song was associated with Mike Awesome on the ECW Extreme Music Volume 1 CD? Ooh! Do you want me to give you a hint? Awesome Bob. No. No, no it no. wasn't. Um, no, it was... Uh, give me a hint. What was my college radio nickname? Oh yeah, Phantom Lord. That's right. <laughs> All right, I was, that was the Anthrax uh, cover of that. Yeah. Anthrax cover. Oh! Yeah. All right. Very good. Very good. Next one. Let me think of a good one here. Okay. I okay. You first. Dawn Marie had this song written for her by this prominent early '90s hair metal associated band, and it was. Her theme song after Power Man 5000's Neckbone and Backbone. ECW made a big deal about this band using the song. I hmm. see. I was going to say Backbone by Power Man 5000. After that. I think I know who it is. The you name of the ahead. song is Hell on High Heels. By Motley Crue? Yes. Oh, see, I thought it was an early 90s song. That's what, the, that's what I thought you said. No, that's... they wrote this song for Dawn Marie for ECW. Is that a fact? Yes. Hmm. That was supposed to be on Extreme Music 3 that never uh, came out. But it was released on New Tattoo in 2000. Extreme Music 2 was 2001. Anarchy Rule. Yes, it was supposed to be on Anarchy Rules. Do another one because I'm getting my question ready here. Okay. Um, what was the song that Kimono Wanalea danced to on top of the ECW arena? Love you... Hates Spinning Wheel. That's right. Ah! It was too fast to remember. <laughs> Don't fuck for... with the champ! <laughs> not for nothing, I love that song. Yes, it is a great one. I mean, like, I realized in 94, <laughs> like, grunge was all the rage, but, I mean, that song was down, dirty rock and roll. Yes, it was. Now, Louie. Yes, sir. Of course we know Sabu came out to Jaws' And then he came out to the song Just a Little Crazy by this band 
And this band's lead singer was the lead singer of another predominant metal band. That would be Who Is Fight for 300, uh-huh. Alex. All right. And now finish it. Who was the lead singer? Oh, Rob fucking Halford, the metal god himself. There you go. Very proud of you. You and got one for me, Wayne? No, keep going. I'm almost done. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, let me see if I can figure out another one for you, Mr. Adams. Uh-huh. Uh, what was Tommy's song before Man in the Box? Pearl Jam, Even Flow. That's right. Give me something hard, will you? Yeah, come on, man. Make this a challenge for me. Here's a question. Can anyone make sense of Hawk's promo in ECW? (laughs) Brother, he was in a cave. Oh, poor guy. Okay, um, here we go. Here's another good one for you. Road Warrior Hawk came out to Iron Man, obviously, when he was there. Mm -hmm. Who came out to War Pigs by Black Sabbath in ECW? Was that Damien Steele? No, sir. I'm way off. I actually don't know who came out to War Pigs. Uh, Ron and Don Harris, the Bruise Brothers. Okay, okay. I have the question ready now. Now, there might be more people that have used this song, but uh, this is kind of like a double question. How many people used the theme song, What a Man by Salt and Pepper, and who were they? Jason, the sexiest man on earth. Yep. Johnny Hotbody. That one I don't have on my list, so I'll just say okay. No, Johnny Hotbody absolutely used it too. It wasn't Blue Meanie because he came out to Do You Think I'm Sexy by the Revolting Cocks. Mm-hmm. Uh, what a Man was Jazz, Jason, Johnny Hotbody, and there's one more that came out to that. Rick Martell used it when he came into ECW when it was okay. Eastern. You know more people than I have on this list here. And uh, Joe Gertner. <laughs> well, none of them were on my list, but uh, Paul Loria. Paul Loria. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He's from your neighborhood. Oh, I have no idea. Uh, that was Mikey Whipwreck's old tag team partner. Oh. The giant Paul Loria, because he was five foot six, but he acted like he was a giant and would do all the giant <laughs> poses. And shit. Uh, Dean Malenko and Chad Austin. Who? Okay, I didn't know that one. Very warm Chad Austin. Warm like... Chad Austin. Oh, God. They, All right. They, there's a part in New Jack's book where he tells uh, Meanie, uh, who is about to wrestle the gangs, genius booking, putting the Meanie in the ring with the gangsters with Chad Austin as his partner. And New Jack apparently remembers Chad Austin from before and how he didn't like Chad Austin. So he tells Meanie, Meanie, tonight it's going to be you and Chad Austin with me and Mustafa. Stay with Mustafa and stay out of my way. And he beat yes. the living shit out of he Chad broke his Austin. leg. He broke his leg with the chair. Right. Yeah, that really did happen. Okay. Extreme Warfare Volume 1 and 2 both use this song. Hey, man, I shot. Very good. Very good. <laughs> I didn't expect damn. you to get it that quick. Glad you're not answering this question to me. Jeez. Um, the night the line was crossed, what did they use for that commercial? I don't remember them using a song for that, but I remember Crossing the Line Again 97. Which was uh, Crossing the Line Again 97, if I'm correct, was LL Cool J. Oh, no. No, that's, that's another night. Crossing the Line Again was King Nothing Metallica. Correct. Yes, because in the commercial, it's Rick Rude wearing the mask after they all give the 
the pit bulls and Tommy the Root Awakening. And, and then the spanking the ever-loving shit. You think you really shit. know who the masked man is? I'll tell you what. You don't know who I am, and you don't know how to do a Root Awakening. Look, Look behind, behind you, you assholes. <laughs> and then wow, he I guess the, spanked the ever-loving shit out of Francine. Yes. Uh, the song that was used for the Night of the Lyman's Cross was Epic by Faith No More. Uh, yeah. I'm telling you, I'm uh, fucking terrible with this. Like, I, I remember all this shit. I got another one for you. Go ahead. Uh, can you name the other theme song Sandman has used besides Surfing USA and Enter Sandman? Well, Ooh. Ooh. I don't even know this one. Oh, I know it. I'm trying to remember Sandman used... Surfing USA, Enter Sandman, the Motorhead version, and the Metallica version. Mm-hmm. Jump by Van Halen. No. <laughs> no. Um, Take Your uh, Whiskey Home by Van Halen. Big Shot by Billy Joel. There you go. Which oh, was yeah, not his right. theme music. It was a music video. Oh, we'll see. Here's his second theme. So, so if we're going by music video. I got a question after uh, Eric answers this. I can't believe Eric's in deep thought over this right now. Wayne, what'd you do? <laughs> I bring the tough questions, not your questions. Yeah, I get some, you know, first try. <laughs> no, I know this answer. God damn it! If anyone wants to comment on what they know, what it is, please put in the comment section below. And don't forget to like and subscribe to Rats Out Review, and also Music Is Life Podcast and Hamid Media Group. <laughs> damn it! What was it? Um. Eric called me up, by the way. He was like, oh, thanks for uh, making a Greek your first pro wrestler you have on your radio show. <laughs> <laughs> I love Papa Don, though. He's a hell of a fucking guy. He's a really, really awesome guy, actually. Oh, His he's family been... and my family go back a very long way. So. Really? So you've known him for a long, long time. I just no, we only met, actually, the day of the uh, podcast where we were talking about our, our, our favorite Jokers. I met him at the doghouse, and then I ran back into him at the, uh, the oh, God, what was it called? Um, Talk about a guy that CZW completely misused. Well, no, then I ran into him at the auditions for the wrestler again, and then I saw him at the conventions and stuff for the wrestling convention. Okay. Um, Wait, God damn it! It was... Elton John, <laughs> son of a bitch. <laughs> um, hold on, what's so- it wasn't Saturday the Night Live for a fight. The, the bitch, bitch is back. back. Yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had to go through the Rolodex. Oh ah. my god, he got the artist, I got the song. Yes, Jeez. all right. All right. So here's my question so, yes. in the early 2000s, and this uh-huh. song was released on ECW Music Volume 2, there was a music video that they shot. That was recorded. The song itself was recorded by a metal band from Ohio by the name of Chimera. What was the song they covered? Balls to the Wall. He's right. (laughs) Come on, man. Uh, Nova had eight themes, apparently. Can you name? Anson, Umbop, Beastie Boys, Intergalactic. Let me clear my throat. Let me clear my throat. He was part of the BWO, so the yeah, BWO the BWO theme, theme but that's a Harry BWO Slash theme. theme. Yeah. Um, what else did he come out to? He came out to. Uh, he also came out to Van Halen Jump. Well, if he was, was that just with, was it on? Or was that just on indie shows? If he was partnered with Shetty, then didn't he come out to uh, Live in La Vida Loca? Then no, they didn't come out to Live in La Vida Loca. They came out to Intergalactic. 
uh, Metal Health, Bang Your Head, Metal Health by Quiet Riot was the other one. God damn it. How many am I up to right now? Uh, I lost count. I lost count. Like four, maybe. Okay, hold on. Jump by Van Halen. Oompa. Let me clear my throat. YMCA. Let me clear my throat. Mental health by uh, bang your head by fucking quiet riot. Mental health. I never understood why people called it mental health. Anyways, you got five. Mental health. Um, Like people called the the Rush song "Spirit of the Radio." It's the spirit of radio. Yeah, I know. Um, Oh fuck! I uh, uh, come out and play by the Offspring. When he was part of Raven's Nest. Yes. Um, what else was there? Uh, the Superman theme. The John Williams theme? Yes. Okay. Jeez, and uh, how many am I missing, Wayne? Well, that's uh, seven out of eight. Yeah, well, yeah, it's half of those that he listed wasn't on this list. So, uh, Pat Benatar, hit me with your best shot. I don't remember that. Okay. Remember that awesome. Wham, wake me before you go, go. Oh, God almighty. I don't remember that one. Okay. Yeah, uh, Ghostbusters theme. Don't remember that. And then the beat. Oh, and Born in the USA. Bruce Did you get Born in the USA? From... I don't remember that one. Did either. you get your list from Wikipedia, Wayne? No, this is on a forum. No, what I'm saying is Wayne might be right. Wayne's probably right, and these were like arena entrances. Because, I mean, if we're going by arena entrances, fucking Stevie Richards came out to fucking Flight of the Valkyries. He came out to fucking the Midnight Express theme. He came out... Uh, they all came out dressed as Kiss. You know what I mean? So there's there's a bunch of little ones like that, but those are the good little questions. You That's right. Very proud of you. Wayne might be right, Eric might be crazy, and I just oh, might I be the crazy. lunatic you're looking for. Okay. <laughs> I can't do um, this with my memory, so I need a list here. Here we go, Louie. Go ahead. Brian Pillman's commercial in ECW used the song Shitless by L7. But what song did Brian Pillman use when he wrestled? He never really wrestled in ECW. He did not have a match his second run in ECW. He came in as a replacement when Steve Austin couldn't wrestle. And he wrestled one match in ECW before that. Was that the night that he insulted New Jack? No. Okay. I actually don't know. know, Wayne, is it on your list? I don't know. I didn't look it up. Um, I know it, but I can't think of what the hell it is. I hear it in my head. Uh... Was it Suicide Blondes by NXS? Yes. 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 That was a guess. That was a guess. Oh that my gosh. I was thinking of. Yes. You got it. It was Suicide Blonde. Because Hollywood Blonde and yes. Brian Pillman. Yes. Now, who else used the song Suicide Blonde? Would that be the Suicide Blondes? What was the tag team? Oh, that was um, Chris Candido. Uh huh. And I want to say, I could be completely wrong, Johnny Hotbody? And there was one more member. So I got two out of three right. Yes, the third member was Christopher Michaels. The song I was thinking of was L7. Shit yes, I said that was his commercial theme. Yeah, that was like, that wasn't his actual ECW wrestling. Maybe this is a commercial theme song. <laughs> Let me see I don't. This is. Now I don't re- entrance music. I don't remember Christopher Michaels. So Christopher Michaels, Johnny Hotbody, Chris Candido collectively were known as the, as suicide, the blondes. suicide Blondes. Chris Michaels was a New York independent standout. Uh, but yeah, he had his hair blonde and he kind of looked like Shawn Michaels and he did a bunch of stuff for the WWF back in the day. He's wrestling again now. I got one. Premium wear. The official licensed brand of merchandise for ECW. Wayne, what song was on that commercial? I know you know it, Louie. 
I don't remember that. I remember. Louis, go ahead. Was it Girl, You'll Be a Woman Soon by Urge Overkill? Yes, it was. Yeah. <laughs> Premium. I and he's quoting the Blue Meanies part of that commercial where he blows a fart bubble in the bathtub. <laughs> By the way, much love to the Blue Meanie. That guy's awesome. Oh, man. God. All, best. All, he's the best. All the best to you in your podcasts. I, I subscribe to it and I love it. This song from Risk was supposed to be Jerry Lynn's theme song. Actually, no, it was Cryptic Writings. But still, what song was it? Trust. <laughs> Very proud of you. Trust, yes. Which, Come on. I, I'm glad that his theme song was uh, Fear Factory's uh, Scapegoat because that was a great entrance. Oh, it was perfect for him. Even though like, he was more into like death metal, because I remember I got you to the back bar. I was like, Louie, Terry, come here, come here. And you're like, what? I'm like, we're going to hang out over here. You're going to meet everybody. And then like Jerry came up to you guys, and then you just started talking to Jerry about metal. And he said, thank you for the mixtape you made me. I'm like, wait, what? And I made a mixtape for Eric. It was like, uh, it was uh, death metal, black metal, black and death metal. Yeah. And I said, here, here are some of the uh, bands that I've been playing on my show. And I made a mixtape. I gave it to him. He gave it to Jerry. And yeah. Jerry said, thanks for the mixtape you made me. I'm like, I, I made, what? <laughs> yes. I was a fir- I made a copy of it and I gave it to Jerry because I knew you were coming and it was your birthday. It was October. This was September. This was the night that Raven came back. Yeah, it was, was, but your birthday was coming up. It was in October, yeah. Yeah, so I wanted you to meet Jerry, so that's why I fucking played that kayfabe game, because I left you and Terry upstairs, and I snuck down by the bar to talk to everybody, because they all knew me already. Yeah. I was like, Jerry, a buddy made you this mixtape of all this black metal and death metal stuff that he really likes, I know you're into it. He's upstairs right now, but can I introduce him to you after the show? And he's like, yeah, so he grabbed... Uh, Johnny, who was the head of Atlas Security, Big Johnny. No, Ed, Big Ed. And he told Ed so he could hang out with his two friends. And that's how I got you guys back over by the bar. That was a great night. That's how he, and, uh, and Jerry. And I, I totally forgot that I told Jerry about that until <laughs> just now. Yeah, it was really nice getting to uh, meet Jerry Lynn. I got to have a nice conversation with Balls Mahoney. Um, I had actually met Tommy at the previous uh, house show at the Elks Lodge. Um, Eric got me and my cousin Dino to actually be in the, it wasn't called the Eagle's Nest, but it was the Golden Circle, I think it was called. Basically, it was stage. It was, yeah, you know, was the stage, stage at the Elks Lodge. Yeah, that's the friends so, and family stage. So Eric got me and him up, and all of a sudden, like, I look to the right of me, like, behind me, and, and there's Tommy Dreamer. And we just started talking. And I was just like, listen, uh, I don't want to sound like a dumb mark, but you're my favorite wrestler. And I really love what you do in the ring. And he was so appreciative. He took a photo with me and he said, Hey, uh, you know Fonzie, right? I said, Oh, pleasure to meet you. Fonzie was like, Hey, how you doing? And, uh, hey, daddy. Yeah, hey, daddy. And uh, big Sally Graziano was there and he's like, Hey, man, what's up? I'm like, Ow, good. <laughs> and, well, big uh, Sal was from Johnny, so he knew me. So that's yeah. how that goes. And basically, all the guys that I got to uh, meet that night uh, were, were really cool. And, and I'll tell you what. They say that, um, especially, you know, w- with people who are in a, now it's funny because the episode of the podcast I released before this was, you know, uh, to uh, think for yourself and stop idolizing people. And the the truth is, you know, guys like us who are fans of music, fans of movies, fans of wrestling, 
it's not that we idolize these people. It's the fact that they have caused us to do something positive with our lives, whether it's podcasting, whether it's wrestling, or whether it's, you know, uh, writing and recording and releasing this stuff, you know, like these are people that have influenced us to do what we do, but it's not idolization. It's paying respect and appreciation for those that lay like the groundwork for us to do what we do and love what we do and why we do it. So that's the difference I think between what it is, you know, idolization as opposed to like appreciation and respect. So whenever I had the opportunity to meet like a lot of these wrestlers, especially from ECW, they were always so gracious. Even the ones you think wouldn't be gracious. I'll give it to Bubba Ray Dudley because he was really kayfabe. Like he was. No, he wasn't. That's him. He was a. Di- oh, that was him. Okay. That's well, Bubba. That's totally well, he was a dick to everybody. Yes. <laughs> he, was, he, was okay. ran, uh, he was ran me over. <laughs> <laughs> Bubba has always been a dick to everyone. Okay, so yeah, but I, it's revered because he's a big dick, but. He will do everything he can with his assholeness to get people over in the business. And if you want proof of that, just look at the match he had with Austin Aries and Impact. To me, that's still one of the top five matches of all time in Impact history. Mm-hmm. The storytelling of that match. Yeah, we were walking to the ECW arena one day and um, going past, there's like a gas station right around there somewhere. And walking right past the gas station, and they just got done getting gas, him and uh, Bubba, I mean, um, uh, Devon. And, yeah. uh, he just starts pulling out of there like, you know, like nobody's there. And then we're all like walking and he's just like, get the fuck out of the way. I'm like, you know, and I'm like, a, oh shit, it's, it's Bubba and Devo. Here's a question for you. When you go to the arena, where would you go to afterwards for cheesesteaks? Tony Luke Jr.'s, Tony Luke's. Tony Luke's, yes, I agree. Yeah. I We went to uh, Tony Luke's after my cousin's MMA match. And uh, I would say that I prefer Tony Luke's cheesesteaks to uh, Pat's and Gino's. Yes. Although I will say that the best cheesesteak that I've had in Philly, I would have to give it to uh, Ishka Bibble. Bibble's really good. Yeah. But Tony Luke's has the best uh, pit beef sandwich. That like roast beef that they cook up and they put on it. That mm-hmm. roast beef one is on another level. But I just remember, because I just remembered another thing you said after that happened. Because <laughs> like we went back to the radio station that Friday mm-hmm. and and you were telling everybody how you met all these people and stuff. And I call, I, I was walking in right when you were saying, you're like, it, it's Jose. I, I don't know. This is the best thing I can tell you. Don't think he's lying because then he's going to surprise you and pull off shit that you would never, whatever sounds the most outlandish is the truth. <laughs> it's like, if it sounds outlandish, it happened. <laughs> he's yeah. like, he said, he said, me and my cousin are there. He's like, oh, yeah, come on. I'll get you up on the stage. And we're like, what? And then all of a sudden, there's Tommy Dreamer, there's Sabu, there's Fonzie. <laughs> and that's when he stopped doubting me. There was one show um, at the Elks Lodge, and I see fucking Bruce Pritchard walking the phone. Like a year after Barely Legal. It was just a random Elks Lodge show where Paulie made the announcement that cleared cable vision. I see Bruce Pritchard. It was just insanity to me. And I was like, what? Why is Bruce Pritchard here? Because I knew what his job was in the WWE. I knew Vince's right-hand man. Watching the curtain get peeled back like that back then was really interesting to me. That was always interesting. And then Big Dick would always search me out to go get him two hot dogs and a Diet Coke every time. And he was like, you've changed. Give me like a $20 bill. That and how can anybody forget the 
fucking me, uh, Miller Eric, MGDs. Eric, let me ask you this. Yeah. The business side sure. of ECW, were you ever too engulfed into what was going on and did it almost kill your love for the business, especially with the way everything went down? It's a really good question, actually, because... Because you're still in it. and I'm you know, still you, in it. And, and, you're, you know, and you're working with Ricky and uh, Robert. Robert. Yeah, with Robert. This is what broke my heart about it. When I turned 18, they were going to make me part of the road crew. And I turned 18, it went tits up. I was going to do that. And that's when everything started to fall apart. What you have to understand is ECW got fucked over more than anybody knows. They went into debt and they closed being owed somewhere in the neighborhood of fucking $7 million because on demand, it was still Viewer's Choice at the time. Viewer's Choice held them hostage. Once they found out that they lost the TNN deal, which the TNN deal was a joke. They gave ECW $25 million, forced them to run these bigger venues in these different towns they weren't ready to go to. They weren't even advertising them. Not one press release, not one fucking commercial, except for during ECW. There wasn't even a commercial during Roller Jam. What In Demand did, this is an insider story. I don't know if, if this has ever been told public. Viewer's Choice told Paul Heyman and Bob Arum, you're going to go under in a year. And if you don't, then we'll pay you. Once they lost the, the TNN deal, they were like, we'd much rather have to pay pennies on the dollar in bankruptcy court than we would have to pay you all this money. Bob Arum had the money to fight him, and Bob Arum won the loss. Paul Lee was trying to get a TV deal. And there was a deal worked out with Fox for Fox Sports, because they were going to start going nationally with the Fox Sports chain. At that time, Fox Sports was Fox Sports East, Fox Sports West, Fox Sports South. And then they bought uh, MSG Network and Sunshine and all these other, you know, ancillary little sport uh, sports channels they bought. So that's how they got the Midwest, and, you know, that Western area of the country. I know, area. I know there's truth to what you're saying because I used to work at the Cablevision facility in Bethpage and all the Fox sports channels were broadcast from there. Yeah. And, and all so used to come literally five minutes to air with the beta tape in hand ready yeah. for them to uh, pop in the cassettes. What was what they wanted Paul to do was do a five day a week, 30 minute serial, which that would have never worked. They would have been dead in six months. They would be filming these 30 minute shows. They would have taken away. And ECW was changing at the time. It was evolving. They still had a couple of uh, bloody hardcore matches and everything, but they were going more wrestling related. But it was it was a platform that they couldn't live on. So Fox wouldn't give them the deal. USA talked to them, but then USA said, well, if we can't have number one, where are we going to have number two? And he just, he ran out of time. He ran out of time. He ran out of money. Um, Rob Van Dam was the biggest star in the world. At that, at that moment, Rob Van Dam was the hottest free agent in wrestling. And Rob Van Dam was floating ECW on his name value. And Rob Van Dam was gone for like four months because Paulie stopped paying him. So there was truth to what Paulie said on the rise and fall in ECW where he said that ECW went belly up because he couldn't get another network deal? Yes. That's the whole real story. They owed so much money. Acclaim owed them money for the video game. And then they made the second video game, which became Legends of Wrestling. That was supposed to be the second ECW video game. Acclaim owed them money. Viewer's Choice owed them money. And then they just couldn't get a straight television deal. And that's what that's what killed them. But then Shane wanted to bring them back in 2005. 
they were going to be the first original internet-only wrestling show. And that was the original deal they tried to work out. Vince Six made that. And it was going to be Paulie running it. It was going to be all his own guys. It was going to be an internet wrestling television show. Because this is when Bite This was getting really good numbers. And Shane was like, well, we own this brand. Why don't we just do this with it? But they wouldn't let it happen. Did Paulie lie to the guys? You're fucking A right. But everybody forgets, Paulie's a promoter. And promoters are full of shit. Find me one. Find me one. You know, I mean, when you're a wrestling promoter, you have to bullshit the boys. You have to bullshit the boys in order to keep it afloat. All of the talent that came in, that that was going to come in after that last arena show, the backseat boys were going to debut. Trent Acid and Johnny Cashmere. I was going to ask, my next question was going to be about the many promotions that came in the wake of ECW, such as Combat Zone Wrestling, Ring of Honor. Well, CZW was around already. And CZW they, they was doing their own thing. February of 99, yes. Yeah, they were doing their own thing. And and it was in New Jersey, and it worked for Zandig. He lived in Philly, so he would run Jersey. Jersey All Pro was kind of like a developmental area for ECW. Yes, like because a they lot would, of ECW guys would do shows there, too. Yeah, they would do shows there, but Frank had a deal with Paul. And so if Paul wanted to see if some guys would work in ECW, they would have to come to Jersey All Pro. So the Haas brothers were there, uh, York and Matthews. Paulie's big vision was he was going to reinvent tag team wrestling at that time. That was going to be his next step in ECW was he was going to reinvent tag team wrestling. He was going to bring in York and Matthews, which he did bring them in. He was going to, uh, Danny Doran and Roadkill were still hot. Uh, They put together Simon Diamond and Johnny Swinger, and they were doing great. C.W. Anderson and uh, was actually part of that group too, right? Yes, he was part of that, but they were going to bring in the Haas brothers, Charlie and Ross Haas. They were going to bring Nova and Frankie Kazarian. They were, that was going to be Frankie's first break in mm, at the I time. Uh, Michael Shane was debuting for the company, and he was doing certain shows. Christopher Daniels was debuting. And Christopher Daniels worked one of the last Elkslaw shows, if you remember. Not the Dudley show. Two shows before that, when they left the Elkslaw originally, and then Bubba got him it for the return. If that's the case, I was there, and I don't remember him. Yeah, Christopher Daniels wrestled on that card. He wrestled on an arena show, so they were bringing him in. Loki, Prince Nana, Xavier, they were all going to debut for ECW. Here's a question for both of you. As I, as I mentioned, CZW, Ring of Honor, we'll even say to a lesser extent, Extreme Pro Wrestling, XPW, the ones that invaded ECW at the Heat Wave 2000 show. Well, they claim <laughs> they that they did a it. Lesson. <laughs> and they learned a lesson. Well, Rob Black will deny to this day that what happened was their fault. Do you think all these companies owe a debt of gratitude to ECW, as far as I'm concerned, the Attitude Era does? And do you think that they succeeded where ECW had to stop? Or do you think that with ECW, there was a magic there that no other company could ever really duplicate? Wayne, I'll... You can speak your opinion first. Yeah, I don't think really anybody has duplicated what ECW has done. I mean, what other company have you seen really go to television like uh, ECW did after they were off TV? 
none of them did, but a lot of the tapes of uh, old school CZW, you could see that they were doing some crazy shit. Um, they were, but shows. how many people have you know go out and go buy the tapes? You know, I I stopped doing that stuff a long time ago. You know, after I got out of school, I stopped buying videos and stuff like that. And if it wasn't on TV or if I couldn't watch it online somehow, then I really wouldn't care. Eric. Okay. Gabe Sapolsky was Paul Heyman's errand boy. You watched these last few years of ECW. Gabe was working for Paul and he was working for RF. And you see Gabe just on the RF camera. If it wasn't or Paul Heyman, Ring of Honor would have never happened. CZW got the push they got because of the violence and all they were doing. They did good for themselves. They were around already. I think Ring of Honor... I think Evolve. I think just the entire change of the wrestling business should be accredited to ECW, especially Ring of Honor, which has brought us all these stars. If ECW was still around to this day, Cesaro, Seth Rollins, John Moxley, all these guys, CM Punk. AJ Styles. AJ Styles, yeah. They would have all been in ECW. Maybe not so much because AJ was a WCW guy and he didn't like traveling. That's why he didn't take that original deal. So maybe not AJ, but I think Paul would have worked that one out too. I kind of stopped being a fan of CZW once DJ Hyde took over. I'm not a fan of what they're putting, what, what they've put out in, in the last nine years, really. I just don't think DJ Hyde has what it takes to book a car together the way that Zandig does. And Zandig, to his credit, he's accused of being all death matches when that was not the case. The thing that drove me a little crazy about him was that he basically denied being influenced by ECW in any way. And I'm just like, how can you say that? He tried to get a job with the fucking company over and over again. He, that that wasn't even a question that was posed to him in his shoot video with Smartmark. And it's funny because you know who's the person who outed him on that statement? It was Axel. You know, Axel's always been one of those wrestlers, again, rest in peace, Axel, who never seemed like he wanted to lie to the fans for a payday. He didn't. And even when the guy was suffering with Bell's palsy, he still tried to give his best out there. Yeah, he did. He really did. And that was a shame with poor Axel. Yeah. Now, does anybody remember Extreme Reunion? Yes. You know who promoted it? It was uh, the ring announcer from XPW. Fine. Under his real name. Yeah, Chris Boss. Kevin Kleinrock is his real name. It was him, and Shane was the figurehead. Mm. That's why it didn't work, is because Kevin Kleinrock was behind it. Everything Kevin Kleinrock has gotten behind, Lucha Underground, Extreme Union, all this stuff. He just can't fucking... Kleinrock was involved with Lucha Underground? Yeah. And uh, what was the MTV show? Wrestling Society X. Wrestling Society X, yeah. I mean, he he tries, and he gets the boys good paydays. Can't keep a group for longer than a month. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Those extreme unions were great. They were special. Uh, Shane tried to do everything he could with it. But, you know, again, it was a situation of they had the right idea. They didn't have the right but, execution. Yes, exactly. Um, I loved how it got uh, Luke Hawks over. I thought Luke Hawks was great. Um, I liked when they started running their own angles and they started doing stuff with Matt Hardy and Luke Hawks and they were with they were starting to create their own stars, which was great. But you had Kevin Klein Rock and Rob Feinstein behind. So. Now the original Extreme Union shows, those were actually Jeremy Borash's. See now he 
in my opinion, is someone who had his finger on the pulse of what the fans wanted. Because he is a fan, lifelong fan. You know, he's always been around Jeremy Borash, and he's a great guy, and I love Jeremy Borash to death. He's finally in the WWE, and he's doing great things for the NXT talent, and I can't wait for the day that he gets pushed up with that company to a higher position. He deserves it. He absolutely does. Very cool. Did you ever go to any of the Extreme Union shows, Lee? No, by then I was working the overnights at Viacom. So, no, I, I actually didn't get to go to, to any shows. I think it, it's funny. Since my last ECW Elks Lodge show in September of 99, the only two other wrestling shows, well, aside from yours, Eric's at Gleason's, yeah. I went to a Fight the World wrestling show in Ronkakama. It was in the uh, spring, winter spring of 2012. And uh, that's because I went to go support uh, Earl Cooter. Uh, okay. I know Earl. Going by Brian something now. I forgot. Uh, yeah. Changed his gimmick around. He's doing really yeah. good for himself. And the last one I went to before that was at the uh, Westbury Music Fair. I went to go see TNA for a bachelor party. Jesus and uh, that was in February of 2008. And uh, what was what was the main event that night? It was Kurt Angle versus AJ Styles. Samoa Joe was there, and there was a New York Extreme Rules match between the Dudleys, a.k.a. Team 3D, and the Motor City Machine Guns. Here's a question for you. We all know that the Dudleys didn't come out to uh, any music. Do you think that's Yes, they did. Yeah, they did. The Dudley boys used to come out to Highway to Hell when they were babyfaces. Right, and then Spikes over that. Yes. Right. I'm, I mean, from like 97 on, though, they weren't coming out to anything. Do you think that added to the fact that uh, they were the biggest heel team in the company? Absolutely. Absolutely they were. I think that was the best thing they could do at the time. That that was perfect for them because everybody else came out to music. So, you know, you remember the explosions at the Elks Live when the Dudleys would come out? You know, oh my God, the match was... would be done. All of a sudden, it'd be like this three-minute pause. Or uh, they'd go to intermission, then they'd come back from intermission, all of a sudden music would stop. It's like three, four minutes, nothing, nothing, nothing. And all of a sudden, at least punch right through that curtain. And it was just hell on earth broke out. The booze and the fuck you Devons were equivalent to a Road Warrior pop, except yeah. the opposite of a Road Warrior pop. I, mean, I was at the Staten Island, right? The sportsplex in Staten Island off uh, fucking New Dork. And ECW stopped running Wasplatine Hall. They still hadn't gotten the Oaks Lodge yet. So they started running uh, the Sportsplex. And they did two shows. They did three shows there. And uh, they were really fun. It was just, it was stuck in the middle of winter. So it was cold because it's like this air dome place. I don't think Sports Fest is there anymore. And uh, on this one show, a fan chucked a full fucking cup of ice and hit Big Dick in the head. And the next thing you know, Big Dick is out of the ring, hop the fucking barricade. He's fucking foot racing this motherfucker. While that's going on, fans start throwing chairs in the ring. Bubba and Devon are throwing chairs back. Bubba takes a chair and is using it like a fucking baseball bat, just taking chairs out as they come. All of a sudden, I see this guy run past me and my mom and Sophie, and all of a sudden, Big Dick just goes, ah, boom! And it's 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 like watching Lawrence Taylor taking out fucking 
Brett Favre. Like, it's just, bah! And he's out on the floor, and Big Dick goes, you want to throw fucking ice at me, motherfucker? Bah! 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 Just annihilates this kid. It was the first time in my life I ever saw teeth go flying. Oh, God. And he was face down. So finally, Atlas gets Big Dick over. He's like, don't fucking touch me! Like, he's going off. So there's Ed, Alex, Mike, and Tony were the four main big guys that she always saw. Ed, Alex, Mike. What about Dave? <laughs> Sorry, Van Halen joke. Anyways. Yes. But um, they What's were the in? main security guys. The ones who all had mullets and ponytails. And then the yes. two short hair guys. Yeah. So they fucking grab Big Dick, get him off him. And they realize the cops are there. Because someone called 911. By that point, the Dudleys are gone. The fans are Winter Group comes on. Yeah. Wrong 911, sorry. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I knew you the were. fans have thrown all the chairs everywhere in the sportsplex. Fucking thing's a mess. There's like fucking 40 fans in the ring jumping up and fucking down. We never got the main event match. <laughs> oh, my God. But I will say this, though. The time spent with ECW, the music that went through the arena, and just being a part of it as a fan was some of the best times of my life. Absolutely. And uh, I don't know... And I don't think that that could go over as well today as it did Never. then. Never. I mean, I, you know, Game Changer Wrestling has attempted to sort of bring wrestling back to that underground fight feel. But even then, and again, I'm not knocking deathmatch wrestling because some of it I do enjoy. You know, like, I, I, like I, to me, I think the IWA... Uh, King of the Death Match was one of the best death matches ever. Uh, you know, death match cards. You know, but what, what they did right that a lot of these companies like IWA Mid South and Game Changer Wrestling, what they get wrong is that they would leave either the death matches for the end of the card, or they would leave it for a whole card once a year, mm-hmm. and I think. That's where a lot of these guys get uh, get it mixed up, you know. Because GCW tries like like I think you know like Masada, he brings like that that Japanese feel to it, even though he's from Texas, you know. But he's wrestled most of his career in uh, Big Japan wrestling. If ECW was still around, Masada would have been perfect for ECW because he could do that deathmatch stuff. But man, did he work! I- I'm going to say that Masada Brigham Doan is the best hybrid wrestler that I've ever seen, especially yes. in the last 15 years. I think the problem with GCW is that there's certain influences of ECW there, but they're not getting it right. Yeah, yeah. These people just can't do it today. A different, uh, different world, too. Yeah. You know? It's a more sensitive world. I don't, I don't know if sensitive is the right word, but... Yeah, it is the right word. Well, it seems to be all the rage to be enraged. Sensitized world, and that's why ECW would be perfect right now because it'd be such counterculture that it would change the whole game. Because that's why it did what it did in '94, '94, '95. Everybody was PC, everybody was sanitized. Mm-hmm. True. And then here came this product that just changed the world. The problem is you got to have the right components, and you got to have the right booker. The only real bookers that could change the business in this day and age is Kevin Sullivan, Jerry Lawler, and Terry Funk. Those are the only guys. All the other bookers are dead. 
Dusty's dead. The Grams are dead. Those are the guys who could have changed the world. Now we have what's left, and it's sad. It really is. We got Tony Khan. Okay. Come on. <laughs> well, I mean, I will say this. If I were to watch, watch a televised wrestling product, it would either be AEW or it would be NXT. I can't say that SmackDown or Raw has anything I'm remotely interested in. And I don't know if I become just desensitized to wrestling because I would hold the art form and the storylines and the impact of special moments to a very high standard. I'm looking elsewhere for my entertainment when it comes to pro wrestling, you know, and I'm seeing a lot of guys who are working their way through different places that, that you know, like Papa Dunn works in New York and Florida and Jersey. You're in the North Carolina. And you're in the South, you know, you're in the deep South. And I know you'd love to make your way back to New York to, uh, uh I'd love to do a show, you know? So like I follow, I would rather follow guys like you. Uh, and I appreciate that. You can't have the same people on every card. No, That's what we're seeing on these independents. Um, Maxwell, you know, MJF was working for AEW and MLW and every indie under the sun. Joey Janela was working every indie under the sun. You have to have talent that supports your area and get that talent over. And then they can branch out and then they can branch even further out. Players like an onion. That's right. I'm going to quote Shrek on your fucking podcast. Do something. <laughs> Well, you can about music as well, like uh, like the musicians. Okay, so Eddie Van Halen, biggest loss uh, this year when it comes, you know, for guitar players. Again, all due respect to Leslie West, another guitar player, and all due respect to Neil Peart, probably, I would say, the equivalent to Eddie uh, for mm-hmm. drums. But I can't tell you how much it drives me absolutely fucking batshit crazy that I'm seeing everybody right now with a striped guitar and a 5150 amp, and they traded all their Boss and TC Electronics pedals for MXR EVH pedals. It's like, first of all, if Eddie was here, if Eddie was still alive today, he'd tell you, what the fuck are you doing? Don't try to be like me. Be yourself. Because I'm seeing a lot of guitar players who are taking their love for Eddie, and they're trying to be Eddie. And it's like, you're making it look bad for the rest of us because, like, I did a cover of Atomic Punk with Wayne. Yes. I made my point, even though I used the same effects that Eddie did, you know, Flanger. Yeah, but you've always been a huge Eddie guy. That's been your guy for years. I remember. But I never tried to sound like him. I never tried to play like him. No, you did not. You always tried to be unique. Right. That statement that you just said, not only does it hold true for musicians, but it holds true for pro wrestlers. Yeah. You know? The and problem is, I can't. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to interrupt, but that that drives me nuts because I try to be completely different from everybody on the Indies. And it's almost like the bane of my ex- existence is being different mm-hmm. at times. And it sucks and it hurts because I'm never going to be the 450 guy. I mean, you've seen me back in the day. I used to do Frankensteiners and backflips and all that shit all the time. Mm-hmm. But 
that's not who I am anymore. That's not my character because my character is a reflection of myself. You know, I'm, I'm a different guy now. I'm a different creature. But it almost feels like, especially um, I, a buddy of mine gave me his fight password because I wanted to watch back all the, uh, the blood sport shows at all. And then I was watching those Evolve cards and I was watching everything else. And it almost feels as if Eddie Kingston calls himself the last of a dying breed. I feel like I really am that dying breed of guys who I'm going to show you some really cool technical shit. And then I'm going to show you some really good brawling. And I'm more concerned with, I want to draw the people into my match. I want those, those near falls where people are like, ah, and doing this. And, you know, you watch my last match with Landon Hale. When he fucking pinned me, people were jumping up and down celebrating. When was the last time we seen in the business people jumping up and down and celebrating a pinfall? I can't recall, but I will you don't say see that, that not on an independent level. You don't. In, in terms of the statement that you just made, I would say that you're you probably are uh, the last of of that kind of breed because you were probably the last student of Johnny Rods right before that big wrestling boom of DXNWO. You were probably the last guy I remember who came up within that system. And oh, yeah. And you're still here. I appreciate the compliment. I really do. No problem. Either way, I think all of us are better off because we had ECW, because we had those matches, we had that music, we had that environment, we had that time. That was the original goal. That was the original goal. And I was right fucking there because I got accepted on the ring crew. They were going to let me go on ring crew, which meant it would only be a matter of time before I get a shot to wrestle on the show. Wayne, as a fan, if you had to relive one moment of time from ECW, what would it be? Oh, my God. Uh, shit. Uh, that you were there live or that you saw on TV that you want to be there live? Either or. How about both? Yeah. Well, no, I, I, well, I went to a lot of ECW shows, so there isn't much that I didn't see. Uh, some of the coolest stuff I saw was uh, when Sid Vicious first made his appearance. I was there. That was awesome. Yeah. Uh, when Taz and Bam Bam Bigelow, I was at that, uh, what was that, Living... Asbury Park, New Jersey, Living Day. Yep, I was there when that happened. That was awesome. And the uh, the other cool thing was when Al Snow came out. I think it was the same show. I think he was the last match. Yeah, that was the main event. And then, because uh, Chet, because they were doing the whole Lance Storm gimmick where he, was he going to be triple threat? Was he not? Yeah. And then they turned on him. Yeah. But uh, when he came out to the audience, he started throwing all the styrofoam heads out and stuff like that. So that was pretty cool. That's all that was, I remember. That was February or March 1998. I remember that. I don't remember. Yeah, that. it was. But, you know, I was living at Drisley. That's the shit I really remember. And, and then the Sabu stuff, too. That He was always, like, a huge favorite. And all the Taz matches are awesome, too. So it's, you know. If I had to relive, you know, an event that I went to, it would be the night that Tommy main evented against RVD for the TV title. And I mean, that, that was a great night because I got to see my favorite ECW wrestler main event as a, uh, as a singles competitor. That was when they did the supposed uh, ballots and they gave everybody ballots at the main event that night. Right, but I believed it because I put Tommy's name on the ballot. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, <laughs> one of my favorite uh, ECW related things is when they went to the um, uh, taping of Raw. Yeah. And they, what, what, what evening was that? Uh, that was a uh, Hammerstein Ballroom, the Manhattan Center. Manhattan. Oh, that was, no, okay. That was are you talking about the, the actual one that they were invited or the first time they yeah, when they showed up in Philly in the Spectrum? No, when they were invited to come on. Oh, okay. Have, have the matches and stuff. I mean, that was cool too, but, you know, to actually yeah. see them on USA and, and that, that was, that was awesome. Yeah, that was fun. Um, I remember that one. Because yeah. my mom would note sell everything. But then when Sandman came out, <laughs> had the beer and pops, like, yeah, yeah, he's getting drunk. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but for me, that's the that's the card that I went to that I would love to relive. Now, if I could have been at any event, Heatwave '98, great card, because you had Hayabusa there, Shinsei Shizaki. Yes, uh, that was Hakushi in the WWF. Yeah. Uh, against Van Dam and Sabu, you had um, Bigelow versus uh, Taz. You uh, had two. Mike Awesome versus uh, Masato Masada. Tanaka. And the main event that night was uh, Tommy, Spike, and Salmon versus the Dudleys, with New Jack coming out at the end and just cleaning house. Yeah. And I tell you, like it was as a fan for me, it was wonderful to see ECW sell out an eight thousand seat arena. Yeah, Brandon to re- in Ohio, but yeah, but yeah, it happened. Uh, County Fairgrounds, and I've wrestled there for Ring of Honor. So, ah, okay, for me, I would want to relive uh, Big Apple Blizzard Blast, the second ECW show at the Washington Hall because that was my first ECW show, and it was just insanity. Like the from the minute I fucking walked in the building. There's Missy Hyatt sitting at a table fucking talking to people. Fucking Brian Pillman's fucking yelling and screaming at people sitting in the crowd. And then all of a sudden, here comes Shane Douglas and, like, Raven won the fucking title at the arena the week before, but I had no idea. All of a sudden, Raven's the fucking champion. He's got this Asian valet and fucking Beulah is with Tommy. I'm like, whoa, what the fuck is happening here? Uh... To Rob Van Dam and Chris Jericho fucking wrestled each other that night. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Headhunters fucking were there that night. Uh, uh, Sandman and Two Cold Scorpio versus the fucking gangsters in like one of the crazy street fights, you know. And then I meet Tommy Dreamer. Like it was my first time there. It's like there's no way I'm gonna meet any of these guys. And I meet all of them, like every fucking single one of them. And they had to walk up this flight of steps to get to the apron. So I'm like hanging out by the steps as they're all coming fucking up and I'm just a little fucking kid like, hey, hey. And Tommy Dreamer's talking to me and God, that was just the fucking greatest. I got to see Cactus Jack one more time that night because it was Cactus and Mikey versus the Eliminators for the tag tiles. Fucking Cactus breaks a glass bottle over the fucking post. I'd want to relive that one for me being there and as far as one that I wasn't at, that last arena show. And again, I have to thank you for introducing me to uh, Tommy in person and also... The first time that I met, like, uh, Balls Mahoney and Sandman and Paul Lee, July of 97, they actually came out to, like, sign autographs with fans. Balls is having, like, KFC with the fans. Sandman signing copies of porno tapes and things like that. I'm just like, why is he signing a copy of a porno tape? You know, yeah, they, you want me to sign this? Uh, sign it, they would sign something. anything. They would sign yeah. anything. But I just remember 
who pulled up that day in the car together, but it was RVD with Bobby Duncan Jr., rest yes. in peace, and uh, two other wrestlers. I forgot who it was. And Tracy it was, Smothers. It was Tracy Smothers. And Terry Funk. Terry Funk wasn't, wasn't there that day. Okay, then it was probably Louie. No, not Louie. Might that have point. been Guido. No, not Guido either. Tommy Ritchie. Can't can't say I remember the third guy. Maybe the, the fourth guy. Maybe there wasn't a fourth guy. But it I was just Tommy remember, Rich. But I just remember the fans were like, you know, you sold out, you sold out. This was like, you know, '97, right when RVD was like the biggest heel in the company because Raven had already left. That was cool to be a part of that. I got to take a picture with Sandman in the inside of the Elks Lodge, and he's there with a cigarette in his mouth, beer in his hand, he, and I'm like, hey man, I hope you have a great uh, great match tonight. And he's like, thanks, kid. <laughs> <laughs> I was 16 and loving every second of it. Okay, final question. If you guys were a talent in ECW, what would you want your entrance music to be? Killing Jokes Millennium. Uh, I think uh, Skull Von Crush Vito LaGrasso beat you to that. Did you give him the idea? <laughs> His exact, I'll tell you this easy story. He's like, it's never so what the fuck should I come out? He was like, so what the fuck should I come out? I was like, I don't know. He's like, what would you use? I was like, oh, I'm good. Because I, in my mind, I was going to wrestle for you. like, well, when I come out, I'm going to Killing Joe fucking Millennium. He's like, okay. The next day I know I'm at the show and he's coming out to that. That was my first time finding out. Never tell nobody what you want to. All right. Well, I'll give you that one. Wayne, you? Uh, well, you all know I'm a Halloween fan, so it has to be a Halloween song. Uh, I want out. No, I, I like the newer stuff. Uh, the song I Can, I think, would have been a cool entrance theme. No, I'm talking. We're talking ECW era. Yeah, that was. You got ninety three. Like ninety eight. Two thousand one. It was like ninety eight. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> Louis. So if we're talking that decade, I probably would have come out to "Shock" by Fear Factory. Yeah, that or I was figured you were going to say some fucking Black Sabbath. If I was going to come out to a Sabbath song, it would probably be Neon Knights. Yeah, because you were a... Really? Wow. Yeah. That's very interesting because you were such a diehard Aussie Black Sabbath guy. I mean, you still respect the Dio years. And we never got to talk about the Tony Martin years, really. You know what? Maybe uh, what I'll do, Eric, is uh, I'll have you guys on, both of you on, uh, on a future episode. We'll talk about... Not the Black Sabbath, the Sabbath discography, but the different lineups. To me, those lineups are as valued as the Aussie lineup, although I will give all the credit in the world to the Aussie lineup because if it wasn't for that lineup, heavy metal as we know it would not exist. You know, and the different offshoots because, you know, as far as I'm concerned, goth bands, hardcore bands, stoner bands, metal bands, um, thrash bands, power metal bands, every kind of genre and subgenre under the category of heavy metal owes every debt of gratitude to the original lineup of sabbath exactly when you do that black sabbath thing give me plenty of time i have to do a lot of studying no problem but i, I will say he's got to look at the first fucking top left hand corner of that cd shelf it's nothing but sabbath. all the way up there <laughs> wait did you alphabetize all that fucking, yeah of course like, you fucking maniac did you really yeah, I'd never oh find anything. God. Can't you see? Look, there's Judas Priest right there. Yes, I know. But that that's cheating. Yeah. That's the box set in its entirety. That's how you can tell. Okay, hold on. Uh, point out, point out, 
your Matter War collection. Oh, I don't know where that is. Uh, it's right it's there. actually probably behind me, actually. I'm still waiting for the King's X Dog Man. Like, are we doing I that? I forgot about that one. I, I, I do want to do that. I want to do that so bad. I so do I. So do I. I love King's me. X. Christmas season is over. Once I, I become pro wrestling famous, <laughs> I'm going to do a fucking tour. And I need my band for Eric Adams and the Enablers. Okay? My band, Eric Adams and the Enablers. It's going to be the greatest tour ever of us just doing cover songs. Terribly, it still can't be. leave. Well, I'm pulling here. Uh, <laughs> by the way, Wayne, I gotta tell you though, I you know doing the uh, my last episode last night, and I put the Ratsaw Review promo before my intro music, and you know you're the like, only one that still does that, by the way. Because I didn't. Know <laughs> you need to send that to me so we can put it on. Our I gotta show. make a new one. I gotta make a new one. Yeah, yeah because we don't have a Timo Toki podcast anymore, and I'm pretty sure he wants something to do with us after he hears me butcher hunting high and low. Oh, he don't. No, stop it, Timo. Listen you to did me. a fantastic job on that. So Wait, so is the Timo Toki podcast gone? I, I want to talk to him first before I actually do the shows on it. But he's so busy doing God knows what he's doing. I mean, he's working on his new album, uh, Vision. Uh, what the hell is that thing called? Uh, I don't know. Visions, Visions of not Visions. Uh, no, not Visions of Atlantis. That's a whole different Visions, but not Stratovarius Visions. Infinite Visions, that's what it is. Infinite Visions, not Infinite or Visions, but Infinite Visions. Why are you Visions. giving him a Russian accent, you dopey's Finnish? I don't know how to talk like him. This is Butcher House. But it's still my favorite line. Something's going on because Butcher House. He had a band already with him, and then actually the bassist that was in the band was the bassist from Stradivarius, and he was on the show with with me and and Timo not too long. That was actually maybe two shows before the last one, and now he's gone. That bassist, something happened. So I don't know. There's a lot of things I need to talk to him about, but we're gonna end this. Can I can I take a, a new sponsor to my show? Go ahead. I don't care what you do. Nobody watches it. Anymore. Is it the law? Is it the law offices of Scott Anafas? No, it is. This is the funniest thing. Marvel so I showed you the cigarettes. one gift I got. I showed you the one gift I got from the girl, right? Um, <laughs> this is going on my YouTube channel. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. She's like, you don't need it, but still. I was like, well, why do you have it? She's like, ah, my ex, I don't like him no more. You, you know, I mean, if Tony Schiavone and um, Tommy Dreamer promote Blue Shoes on their show, their shows, I guess it can't be that bad. No. This is completely off the rails. I got to put the kibosh on this episode. We're going on too long. <laughs> Anyways, I really want to thank my uh, my co-hosts, my, uh, my, my guests, uh, Mr. Wayne Noon of Rathstyle Review, and also Mr. Eric Adams of Beyond Bushido. Thank you for having me on, Lou. It's always a pleasure. Oh, I love pleasure. you to death. Love you guys, too. Anything you guys want to plug before uh, I end it? Uh, Beyond Bushido, ring the damn bell at wordpress.com, Blue Chew, Hulk Hogan, brother. And I'll pull, promote uh, Lou Mavs uh, and his music is life show. What you can find on <laughs> what you can find on the Rats Out Review Network. They're watching it now. How fucking ECW of you promote the show <laughs> only when you're on it. <laughs> it is true. I never bring it up during my show. You know, he's done more for me than TNN did for ECW. <laughs> At least I fucking talk about your show every week. 
So do I. I always promote both of you guys' shows at the end. So Don't forget well. to check out Beyond the Cheeto after you watch this. Be sure to tune in to uh, Tuesday, December the 29th episode of Beyond Bushido. You'll be able to find it on our Facebook page where our special guest, where we'll be all watching our favorite ECW matches of all time, is going to be none other than Lou Mavs. Oh, that's me. Yes. But of course, I'm very excited to be back on Beyond Bushido this Tuesday. So thank you, Eric, for having me. And thank you, Wayne, again, for hosting my little podcast. Yeah. I really appreciate it. Uh, so, again, want to give a, um, a big plug to Ratsaw Review Network, Ratsaw Review. Dot com. Dot uh, com. Thank you. And also available on the Hamid Media Group and to on Eric and, and on YouTube. And also to uh, Eric and James over at Beyond Bushido. Um Big shout out to uh, my friend, Mr. Rob Vieira over at Vieira Vault and his YouTube page, Almost Human. And also, if there was another podcast for you to listen to, I would say big shout out to uh, Chris Zach and Aaron Camaro over at Decibel Geek. Check them out because they're definitely keeping the rock alive, especially during this pandemic, the same way Rasa Review does. So anyways, if you guys have any uh, emails you want to shoot me, hit me over at Music is Life Podcast at gmail.com uh, please like and subscribe or and, suggestions for cover songs which I will if you want to make a suggestion I will accept donations via PayPal for it mm. and uh, make your money baby make your money <laughs> that's right because uh, listen I got a black star amp and four guitars and I know my house needs upgrading because I would eventually like to make my own studio in the basement once I get the asbestos floor. I'm surprised you haven't gone the the TikTok way and bought an orange amp yet. That's become like the rave on TikTok is guitars playing orange. I'll tell you what, like after I had my gallbladder surgery, uh, my brother gives me a call and he's like, hey, do you need an amp? I'm like, come on, I got my Marshall 30 watt. I'm like, what kind of amp is it? He shows me a picture of it. It's a Blackstar HT Soloist 60. Uh, which is a 60 watt tube amp it's got two channels and it's got i mean it's it's the most amazing amp i've ever played and i love it it's a combo amp you know but it doesn't what do you got there wayne i got a black star amp too wait what do you play drums yeah why do you have an amp because maybe he wants to play guitar he writes riffs it's a halloween amp does wayne write riffs yeah, no, it, but it's put out by Blackstar. Oh, okay. So because it was Halloween, you buy it. Of course. But anyway, I love, I love my Blackstar amp, and when I go back to performing shows, I'm going to be using that. But uh, I know that eventually I would like to upgrade my house so that we could turn our basement into a recording studio for my wife and me. Because right now I'm just going, <laughs> Wayne. I'm looking into an interface for my MacBook. <laughs> okay, but uh, right now I'm doing stuff uh, old school and dirty, thanks to Eric Adams who bought me a uh, XLR cable to uh, USB. Which I did? I've been recording everything. <laughs> well, you know, fuck you. I'm trying to put you over over here. No, I'm being serious. When the fuck did I do that? You're the one who directed me to Amazon. Oh, fuck. Did I buy that for you? Yes. Oh, cool. I, I totally forgot. I'm being completely serious. Well, I, I bought it and he reimbursed me for it. Oh, there you go. He was like, happy early birthday. Oh, yeah, that's right. I couldn't fucking pay for it using my card, so I said, hey, here's the fucking money. Buy it. 
That's how it went down. Now I remember. That, that is how it went down. I get annoyed. I try and buy people gifts online, and my card doesn't work sometimes. So then I just cash out them the money and say, "Here, buy yourself this." That's funny. I don't see anything here from Eric Adams anywhere. <laughs> well, you, Eric did have. I give you an autograph, Nikolai Volkov wrestling, and now fucking annual. I do every year. I pay for the uh, Podbean and the website. I, I get nothing. You won't give me no, your new address because you're afraid I'm going to accidentally say it on air. What do you mean accidentally? <laughs> Across the street from Steve. Who in this goddamn show before he says it? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to ask Steven for it and he'll give it to me. Oh my goodness. Yes, my Black Star amp. Once I get back to performing shows, that's going to be my main amp and I'm looking Sweet. forward to it. So, okay. So, thank you again to Wayne Noon of Ratsaw Review Network, ratsawreview.com. Ratsal Review is also being promoted by uh, Hamid Media Group. And thank you for having us on your platform. Eric, uh, all the best to you and James and beyond Bushido. And uh, thanks, guys, for coming on. And wish you guys a good night. And remember, music is life. All art is valid. Check you guys later. Peace. Bye. All I see is a cue ball in front I know. of my <laughs> This is better than any freaking soap opera I've ever watched. <laughs> Looking for some new podcasts to listen to? Well, Rat Sound Review Network has plenty of shows to choose from. Like Rat Sound Review, where they discuss the latest rock and metal news, as well as interviews and albums. Album versus Album, the King Diamond Podcast, with Wayne Noon, Greg Noggle, and sometimes this guy. Smack him a gob! Ralph Vieira is also on our network with the Vieira Bowl. There's also Old Man Metal's Musings, where he discusses heavy metal and beer. Music is Life with Lou Mavs. The Right Opinion for those who love politics. A South Park podcast called Suck My Balls. The Infinite Fringe. A watch-along wrestling show called Beyond Bushido. Extradivarius guitarist, the Timo Tolki podcast. And the great Harry Barnett with I Don't Even Like Podcast and the Laugh Cast. So check out RatSoundReview.com or search RatSoundReview on YouTube, Podbean, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and more.